Welcome, everybody, to the B-Side, <laughs> a podcast for the Film Stage website, and it's Halloween yeah, It's an extra spooky, extra spooky episode. Last year, around this time, we did Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, me and Teresa Scott, New York City producer. And so we decided, when we were talking about it, we were like, let's keep it in the Halloween family. Let's... Um, and actually, it was a suggestion of our guest to do this. So we we jumped off of his suggestion and we said, let's keep it in the Halloween family and let's talk about the maestro himself, John Carpenter, our second director that we've done. We're going to only do John. Yes. Directors. Right. We yeah. did John Singleton in memoriam of the great uh, director and his untimely death earlier this year. We're going to do McTiernan as our next director. I, you joke, but I would love, <laughs> I would love to do John McTiernan. So it's going to be McTiernan, John Ford, John Houston, yeah. and Hughes. John Hughes. John Hughes. Thank yeah. you. Sure. Um, those are the only Johns. Those are the only yeah, directors the only that have Johns ever been named John. John Sturges. Good yeah. record. So, yes, we are the B-side. We are a part of the film stage. And like we say at the top of every episode, we talk about movie stars or movie directors and not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today, like we said already, we're talking about John Carpenter, who came to form with, of course, movies like Escape from New York and Halloween, but made plenty of other movies in his tenure. And we're going to talk about four of the ones you might and have not seen or know fully about. Uh, and with us today is Connor O'Donnell, podcast producer. What's up? Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, Daniel. We're recording it before Halloween, but you know, as as corporate America continues, Halloween has become the full month of October. Basically, yeah. And today- As it should be. As it should be, right. And so look, I'll be honest. Most people agree. Halloween's not one of my go-to holidays. And it's something I think my wife always, you know, Kelly always kind of wants me to get more into it because we do the costumes and we get excited. I've never been so like, I've never been the type of person who gets overly jacked up about it. And I, I do wish I had, I wish I did, but I don't know. Do you guys get really excited about the holiday? I didn't really used to. Right. I feel like I actually have as I've gotten more, older. More. And, and I, I feel like part of it's a film Twitter thing. Like, I think part of it's just more like, yeah, let me like dive into like some horror movies I've never our seen. Buddy, our buddy Gavin, who we brought up, he's a frequent guest. and we, We've brought him up before uh, who runs the mixed reviews. He's like goes crazy with the costumes. So I feel like. Which I appreciate. I always kind of like seeing costumes, people do I'm it. always kind of like, oh, yeah, I, I wish I had that. I wish I had it. <laughs> I wish I, I had that itch. Go ahead. I love Halloween, but I am very lazy. And so that is usually a weak spot. I really, w I always want to do some really kick ass Halloween costume. It never works out. I've had a couple in my time, but yeah. Yeah. So but I love, I love watching scary movies. I love playing scary video games. Those are things that I love to do around Halloween. So the voice you're hearing is our guest for today. His name is Alex Sherman. He is an author and post production aficionado. Master of many um, editing and post-production things. Um, Alex, let me ask you, John Carpenter, what about him made, like, what about him is the thing that you're like, we got to talk about him? What about him? Well, he made Halloween. Well, right. But is that your thing? Like, is that the thing for you that you're like, the thing you go back to? Oh, um, I think I go back to the thing. I go back to they live... Right. Um, I and there's so much to like about him as as a a genre filmmaker. Sure. 
Like he's he's somebody who um, just never he never shied away from making genre films, and that's something that I really admire. Yeah, no, I think he. I mean, so I mean, obviously, so I guess. Let's talk all of us about John Carpenter and him in our lives, and then we'll talk about the four movies we'll focus on. So for me, I certainly agree. I mean, I I saw Halloween, you know, I had my buddy Mike Giordamo, who is an old friend of mine, he would have like parties at his, his parents' house when we were in middle school or probably maybe even earlier. And we would watch scary movies probably around this time of year. And I remember we watched like The Exorcist and we all like were like making fun of how silly it was. And then I went home and couldn't sleep for three days. You know? <laughs> right, right. And we watched Candyman where we made fun of how silly it was. Candyman. I don't care what anybody says. Candyman, Candyman is, is horrifying. horrifying. Yeah. And great a great movie. movie. Yeah. Great, great movie. movie. Great record. Great record. And so like we in one of those movies amongst this, you know, whenever we would do this was Halloween. And it was the same thing. Like you watch it. And you're like a shitty kid and, you know, it's whatever year this, you know, 2000, you know, two and you're watching Halloween and you're like, whatever, you know, this is kind of scary, I guess. And then it like haunts you for, you know, yeah. the rest of your life you know? and the score trickles in your mind forever and stuff. So certainly Halloween for me was the first thing I remember from Carpenter. And then, you know, you kind of get into it. I will admit I am not personally a like the horror movie genre is not my go-to genre right sure. like i am not i'm a scaredy cat like i i get scared when i'm at scary movies with my wife if we go see them like a movie like the witch or us or something right I'm my eye my hands are in front of my eyes while i'm watching it and i'm watching it through my two fingers you know what i mean like i'm that person every time sure. it only gets worse as i get older i fully admit that that being said when i watch his movies and you know we watched a few of these movies obviously for this podcast you're reminded he's such an expert craftsman like yeah to your point alex like when you think about genre and you think about having a voice and being an auteur of some sort there are few who do it like him. You know what I mean? Like he truly is a master in a very specific way. Um, so Connor, I mean, for you, is there anything that jumps out other than Halloween, I suppose? Uh, no, I mean, yeah, Halloween's the big one. Uh, the thing is huge for sure. me. I think the thing is like just a masterpiece uh, in, a, in a lot of various ways. Um, the a, a big one for me, which actually wasn't one that I realized he directed until much later is uh, is the first movie we're going to talk about. Really? Uh, yeah, which is uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. That one, like, only because I like... So, I love The Invisible Man, like the, the Wells novel, and loved it as a kid, have always Wells, loved it. Wells, not Ellison. Yep, thank you. <laughs> and loved it as a kid, and any rendering of that story i always really liked like i have, I have a huge soft spot for hollow man oh dude hollow um, man. underrated movie yeah um <laughs> i have movie. i have a huge soft spot for that movie so i remember watching this movie with my dad when i was a kid and like him really digging it because it was chevy chase 
Uh, but me just kind of being like, oh, it's like a cool Invisible Man movie. So it just, I at the time when I saw this, I had no idea it was John Carpenter. So it wasn't until like much later. But I would say other than other than this, the other big one that was in heavy rotation when I was younger and still is today every once in a while is uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, I was going to say Which is like that, a ton of fun. That's the other one when I was younger that I watched and rewatched and loved was Big Trouble in Little China. That movie, I, I just loved it when I was growing up. You know, I, I don't even I don't even know that I knew it was John Carpenter. You know what I mean? I just think it was a movie that I I don't know. It was on I, I couldn't tell you what cable channel, what have you. I think yeah. my mom really liked. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just one of those. You know, I remember Kim Cattrall. I remember you know the 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 shirt that Kurt Russell wears yep. the whole time. You know what I mean? Like those little details. It's um, all in the reflexes. I um. Yeah, I Kurt Russell was the thing that always just stood out to me, and just the bizarre, like the dude exploding at the end, and that's you know, one of my favorite scenes of all it's time. It's incredible. There's just so much so in that many movie. Cool practical effects. It's a, yeah. that movie's just to me a great example of just like a, like a confluence of things that should not all work together in the same movie, but for some reason it just I don't know. It's all it's all really cool and uh, great world building. Like yes, like it's it's really just one of these magical movies that creates its entire this entire universe and that well and he's good at that yeah we'll, yeah we'll we'll talk about that when we talk about this movie so just to just to use that as a jumping off point the four movies we're going to focus on today are and in chronological order memoirs of an invisible man in 1992 vampires from 1998 ghosts of mars from 2001 and the ward from 2010 now so the Last three are his last three theatrical released director direct directed movies, and then obviously memoirs is ninety two. So there's a couple movies in between. We'll mention other ones obviously as we always do, but those are the four. So, I mean, can I ask what motivated the choice of those movies? It's a good question. I I mean, I picked was, memoirs. It was because it was one yeah, of those. Connor, things. I think you kind of own this a little bit. Yeah, to me, it was a combination of. Um, I picked memoirs just because it's like. At least for me, it's like not a movie you would think of as a John Carpenter movie. So I just thought it's kind of not unlike Vampire in Brooklyn. We talked about with Wes Craven, the Wes Craven. Yeah, it. um, It's better than I think. Better. Yes. Yes. Um, But similar kind of thing with Eddie Murphy and and Chevy Chase. Star ego stuff. Comedian turning, trying to do drama. Um, Yeah. No. I. uh, So I picked that one just because it felt like an oddball uh, for Carpenter. And then, um, and then vampires to Ghosts of Mars to the Ward. I kind of just wanted to look at them as just sort of like, like what happened. Like let's just talk about what happened to John Carpenter. Like as as he got right. towards the end, because I do think you know there is, in terms of like A sides versus B sides, in between uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man and Vampires, there's uh, I believe in the Mouth of Madness, Village of the Damned, and Village yeah. of so the that, Damned. Right? I was like say, the other way we could have gone. Is we could have kind of focused more on was it the apocalypse, the apocalypse trilogy. trilogy. Where it's but like, I feel like people know that, right? Well, like, that was what I yeah. was saying. I think when you're thinking about these B sides, right? You could, you know, the thing obviously is not a B side anymore. If it ever was, I mean, it didn't do amazingly well when it came out, but obviously is now a classic. But if you think about the three movies, the thing, Mouth of Madness, and Village of the Damned, in the Mouth of Madness and Village of the Damned are could very well be considered sure. B sides writ large, right? I mean, they're not huge hits and what have you. Well, the Apocalypse trilogy is Prince of Darkness. Oh, okay. So right. I'm wrong. Yeah, okay, Prince so of Darkness is the, the second thing. one. Which I think... No, it's The Thing, oh, sorry. Prince okay. of Darkness, and then In the Mouth of Madness. Oh, so Village of the Damned is not involved. No, that's oh, just sorry. another Okay, movie. okay. My bad. But I think like 
Prince of Darkness is probably a sort of an addendum. Like that's kind of still considered a weaker Carpenter, I think. And it's sort of right. interesting to think about, especially compared to Ghosts of Mars, because it's it's one of these things where it's basically the same movie. Right, right. Okay. So that's, uh, I think one of the cool things about Carpenter is you could even, I mean, Dark Star is his first feature movie. Right. That could be a B-side, right? Because yeah. not everybody's seen that. Obviously, it inspires a lot of stuff. George Lucas sees the effects in that movie. Sure. Gets involved with Carpenter's career. Carpenter helps on Star Wars, right? So- and obviously, uh, Dan O'Bannon also does Dark Star and obviously he's the, he goes to Alien, right? Yeah. So, Dark Star is one of those movies where, you know, it leads to A number so of many other things. careers yeah. and so many other influences. And it needs to be stated about John Carpenter, his best known movies were failures, like box office failures. Totally. Yeah. Other than Halloween, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, uh, literally just before we started recording... Uh, Alex and I were talking about interesting thing about Halloween is that um, it came out right and correct me if I'm wrong here Alex it came out it was basically kind of failing but it was still it was picking up like a little bit of word of mouth so they pulled it from distribution and released it a year later and in that sort of interim year just like drummed up excitement for uh. it so that when they re-released it it was this like here's the movie everybody's been talking about kind of thing um yeah and and before so just i mean he hasn't made that many theatrical theatrically released movies right so dark star 74 assault on precinct 13 the original is 76 yes 76 which he makes for like $60,000 and is a modest kind of success, DIY success. It gets remade, obviously, 30 years later um, by French director starring Ethan Hawke and Lawrence Fishburne. I am actually a big fan of the remake, I will say. I think it's um, okay. Halloween is obviously a big moment with what you just said, Connor, being considered the fog. The fog did relatively well. Am I wrong on that? I'm looking at it now. Yeah, the fog performed well. That was Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis as well. Um, also remade in And 05. Janet Lee. Right, which is her, her mother. Fun. Yeah, which yeah. is kind of fun. Um, Escape from New York performed. It kind of underperformed. Yeah, well, it didn't cost that much, but it made twenty five. Right, it cost six. Um, the thing underperformed came out the same fucking weekend as Blade Runner, which is insane to me. Can you imagine just being like, "Hey, honey, let's go to the theater. What's out?" And, you know, nineteen eighty two, and you're like, "Oh, the new Harrison Ford movie that's not." You know what I mean? Oh, right. the one that's not Star Wars, you know, or right. not Raiders, you know? No, you know what? Let's just go see E.T. again. Right. Yeah. Well, right. But, that's but that's yeah. what people did. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what's the so thing crazy. Blade like, Runner, both victims two, of the summer of E.T. Two masterpieces, right? Like just common or forgotten, essentially. He's one of these guys, not unlike a Joe Dante, not unlike a Walter Hill, who we were talking about only recently when we talked about Sylvester Stallone. He had early success by and large and then kind of never was able from a money standpoint, commercial standpoint, was never really able to capitalize it on it again, right? Like he kind of never had another Halloween, right? He never really had another The Fog, you know, like in terms of success well, at the box office. Right. The thing that kept happening is that he would make movies for very little money that became profitable. And then whenever, whenever anybody sort of took a chance on him, gave him a bigger budget, he would make a phenomenal like future classic movie that bombed at the box right. office and so sort of made him like 
a risky, you know, a risky asset for a couple of years after that. Yeah, I mean the I, the closest, and again, this is just according to uh, Box Office Mojo, but the close his second highest grossing movie um, is Starman. Yes, right. Which uh, do they which do? underperformed. Yeah, and they, I mean, they don't have a reported budget for it on here. Um, I mean, Wikipedia says twenty four million, you know, and it made. You know, around twenty eight. You know, right. so, it earned it earned it earned Jeff Bridges an Oscar nomination. Right? So yeah, so good on that. Know, it was know. adapted into a into a an ABC series for one season. I yep. mean, <laughs> about so yeah. there are some residuals there. Somebody paid somebody for that. Um, that movie, I will say, I watched only for the first time in preparation for this podcast, and I fell in love with it. I yeah, I re- I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, so that's definitely one to seek out. Not really, like we said, not really a B side, but yeah. So Dark Star in seventy four, Precinct thirteen seventy six, Halloween seventy eight, The Fog eighty, Escape from New York eighty one, Christine eighty three, Starman eighty four, Big Trouble in eighty six, Prince of Darkness eighty seven, They Live eighty eight, Memoirs of an Invisible Man nineteen ninety two, In the Mouth of Madness ninety four, Village of the Dam ninety five, Escape from L A, co written by the one and only Kurt Russell ninety six, Vampires ninety eight, Ghost of Mars oh one, and then after a long semi retirement, The Ward in twenty ten. We will note in that time period, obviously he made a couple of episodes of the show Masters of Horror, which we'll talk about a little later. But let's jump into it. Memoirs of an Invisible Man, 1992, based on a novel. Chevy Chase got into it, wanted to make it. Ivan Reitman was scheduled to direct it. It got revealed in the process of pre-production that Chevy Chase didn't want to focus on the comedy that he'd become famous for, but wanted to rather examine the loneliness of the Invisible Man, the idea of if you lost visibility... If people didn't acknowledge you in person, what would that be like? And he wanted to focus on that. And when Ivan Reitman realized that that was what then kind of big star Chevy Chase wanted to focus on, Reitman dropped out. Chevy Chase ended up fighting to get John Carpenter onto the picture. And it became a kind of effects nightmare in terms of filming it. They Carpenter's quoted this saying they basically had to film the, film the movie twice because of the ILM effects. Movie came out, didn't do much business. This is, you know, a time where he called Carpenter, who's a very honest interview, and we'll talk more about that as we go on, basically called <laughs> Chevy Chase and Daryl Hannah nightmares to work with. Um, Chevy Chase would like rip off the suit he had to wear for the effects too early and they would lose shots and da 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 da. So the movie's regarded kind of as a disappointment um, in terms of its reception, but in watching it for this podcast, I enjoyed it. I mean, what 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 did what did we think as a group of this movie? Oh, uh, we let's. What do you think? Al? We'll let yeah. you start. Um, it, it it's a fascinating movie. I think I hated it. <laughs> yeah, no, but so yeah. I I here's my thing. I see both sides. Like yeah. I watched it thinking to myself, I'm enjoying this, but it's one of those things where it's like, am I enjoying this because the bar's so low? You know, I'm like coming into this thing so right. like, what happened? And then I'm basically laughing six times and being impressed by the visual effects you know what i mean that i you know what what did you hate about it uh i i didn't find it effective as a thriller and i didn't find it funny at all so it's interesting um we you know we just mentioned briefly earlier that like this bears some similarity to vampire in brooklyn because it's you know well-known horror director in terms of the development yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and it's yeah and um 
And it's funny because that was my exact problem with Vampire in Brooklyn hmm. is that it just right. it like has one foot in, one foot out, and it's not really very good at either of them. Um that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. I I just feel I really like this movie. I mean, not really. I, I liked it. Um, but it I feel like the effects go a long way for me with this movie. It's also kind of I think Chevy Chase is kind of interesting in this movie. Like he's more interesting in this movie than like say Eddie Murphy is in Vampire in Brooklyn as just a general performance. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think they're both interesting. Yeah, in a similar way they're interesting. I guess I prefer yeah, to your point, I would agree. I prefer Chevy Chase in terms if we're comparing those two performances. Um well, that's funny because I watched Vampire in Brooklyn with you. Yeah, yep. I would. I would say I disagree. I think I have the opposite opinion. You like that movie well, more? Well, just like I, I, it's so much easier for me to buy Eddie Murphy as somebody who's like really suave and charismatic than Chevy Chase. Right. That's one. Sure. I will agree with you. One of the problems of Memoirs of an Invisible Man is it kind of glosses over. How exactly the Chevy Chase Nick? I think it's Nick Carraway or Holloway. Nick, Holloway, Nick Carraway, yeah, Nick yeah, Holloway. Gatsby, not Gatsby. <laughs> it glosses over the how exactly Nick Holloway, the Chevy Chase character, like he's presented as a smooth operator in the beginning of the movie in a Fletch kind of Chevy Chase kind sure. of way, and then the assumption is like he has enough wherewithal and street smarts to evade. The authorities and Sam Neill being the villain, and and you never really get the exposition to suggest he would have that capability. That it's interesting that you're saying that because at a, we'll come back to this near the end of this episode when we talk about the ward. But that movie has uh, the same exact problem. I'm going to venture to say that all of these movies that we're going to talk about have that problem. Like, yeah. well, they don't really establish that these that your main characters are competent. Like, well, look, look, look memoirs right. of an invisible man. Like the setup for that is mm-hmm. that this guy who's supposed to be this really smart market analyst or whatever, he gets wasted, goes into this meeting really hungover, finds like a bathroom where he can take a yeah, nap. A ba- by the way, a bathroom with a sauna. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which, it's okay. It's uh, okay. Little... 1992. Right. Know, like. Okay, yeah. in like a nuclear power plant, right? You know, like what with magnets? You know, yeah, like what? what? Yeah, how do they work? It's you know, like what is that building? No, but Crazy. Alex, you're totally right. Like that, yeah, like the whole setup, which basically has patchwork narration, which is another thing that'll come up. Sure. in these movies we'll talk about. Is it? Oh, in it this feels movie, feels like patchwork. Oh, no, no. I speaking I'm of not, terrible narration. No, 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 no I'm, I'm not. It, it, it competes with Harrison Ford. I'm, later I'm the ki- I am the king narration. of complaining about bad narration on this podcast, and I I agree it's not great. But My I also Nick Holland. I don't know if it's a straight it's like, up band aid because the name of the movie is Memoirs of No. I know. Man. Like, I do you know, know what I mean? Like, it is the framework of the movie. Well, he's recording a video. It's like a double indemnity. He, like, yeah. Thing. He's like also. Because this is an adaptation of a novel, and yeah. so I think it's it's Mike. I haven't read the novel. My guess is that it's written in the first person, and so he, that's just kind of your default sure. when adapting this kind of material. And yeah. this was Chevy Chase, like adapting a novel that he loved, right? And so I'm going to briefly aside about the novel, just having read the Wikipedia article. But it's written by a guy who was in real life, like this this really successful like Wall Street guy. Um, who sort of retired and wanted to write this novel 
and it was just it was so good that he sold the movie rights before he had, it was even finished and like that book is incredibly successful and it's about somebody who is a really successful market person and really again like the reason people love that book is because it sells this guy is somebody who can believably take advantage of the situation of being yeah invisible. okay one thing i appreciate about the movie is that it doesn't ever get overly creepy, right? So like when when you when <laughs> it teeter, it definitely teeters, it teeters a couple times. Teeters. Yeah. But when you yeah. think about a Hollow Man, right? One thing I yeah. like about Hollow Man, right? The opposite, yeah. Paul, the Paul Verhoeven movie, yeah. is it's only creepy. Like it's, the premise of Hollow Man is literally like, what if the world's biggest pervert became who invisible. has the biggest ego and was also a genius, right? To some degree, yeah, became invisible, and it's like it would be. A, night, a living nightmare, right? Yes. Which I like about that movie. Yeah. This is like, what I like about this movie is if we're talking about tone, I, I like that it's not quite Caddyshack, Chevy Chase. It's like he's a generally for 1992, a nicer guy, right? Like there's like one scene where he's in the room and Daryl Hand is taking off her clothes and it gets interrupted by another <laughs> guy who's trying to take advantage of her. And he kind of gets retribution on him. And I was like, you know what? Thank you. Yeah. That, I mean, this feels like a that, you know that, what I mean? Like I was like, that I didn't whole... want there to be some creepy porkies. Like, uh-huh. yeah. I'm, and there really isn't there. Really, there's the beginning of the one scene, but really it's more about he falls in love with this woman and the whole thing. The idea, obviously, it's not really followed through to your point, Alex, but I like the idea of like, I got what Chevy, I got what drew Chevy Chase to the property, which is like, even if you were this smooth operator, right? The minute people don't see you, the minute you're not recognized, it would be something you'd had to deal with. And the fact that Daryl Hannah obviously ultimately sees him, even though he, she can't see him, and it, you know, it doesn't matter. But you know, I enjoyed the motivations behind that, and they felt altruistic to me. One thing we got to say: Daryl Hannah, Kill Bill aside, Splash aside. Not. Blade Runner. Sure. Blade Where Runner. she Blade plays Runner. a robot, though. So, okay, I, so that's three good examples. <laughs> yeah, so sure. I, I feel less bad about saying this. Not strong. In this movie, no. Not strong yeah, in this movie. She's, Just, yeah. You know, maybe she doesn't have enough to do. She's kind it, of- I don't know if it's head. really her fault. But- but It's a bad she's character. Not, she's also not giving much also to the sure. screen. I think she, she's one of those people, look, we'll talk- It's going to come up once again. It's going to come up in Ghosts of Mars. She's stunningly beautiful, but it's, it is one of those things I thought about watching memoirs and I thought about watching Ghosts of Mars with Natasha Hentrys. We'll talk about this. Stunningly beautiful, but for both of these actresses, there is this sense that there's a missing thing where like, at least for me, there are good moments here, but what makes a movie star, right? We talk about this. I feel like we've talked about this before on the podcast. Pretty Woman, right, was on TV, you know, when I was home two weekends ago, like on whatever, TBS. I watched 10 minutes of it. Julia Roberts, say what you will about her. It's like, speaking of magnets, you're just like, I, I, I was just like enthralled. Like I've seen the movie, you know, I don't know, 10 times in, in my life. I'm watching it again and I'm like, hey, I could watch the rest of this movie. And it's all because in that movie, you're watching Julia Roberts and you're like, who is this person? And you don't get that. I don't get that at least with Daryl Hannah. And you know what I mean? Sure. Whatever that thing is, it's not fully there. And I think Daryl Hannah maybe is an example of someone where though she had the look and maybe had the talent, you know, it just, there was something, 
indefinable that just wasn't fully there. I think I think that might be a. It, I think that might be true. I think yeah, there is there are those unquantifiables that certain people just have. I think it's going to come up. It come, it's going to come up with some of the other movies we're going to talk about because I think some of the people that Carpenter worked with on the reg, like namely Kurt Russell, are just people well, who Kurt are. Russell, perfect. He's a movie star. The perfect example. Yeah, he's a movie like, star. He just just you screen see presence. You just yeah. see him and you're like, I love. Him. Yeah, somebody with an with <laughs> an aura. I, yeah. I and I I will say, I think even though he's kind of he's a little bit out of his league here and what he's trying to do. Chevy Chase brings that right. Totally. Like he's totally. a he's a movie star. Well, um, I don't know about that. No, Chevy Chase is a movie star. I think, but I think I think more times than not. Chevy Chase has that. I was sure. Say. Like even a movie like Funny Farm, right, which comes out only a few years before this, and it's kind of one of his last big hits. Funny Farm, directed by, by the way, George Roy Hill, who directed oh. fucking Butch Cassidy and the Sun. Yeah. That's what I love about. I feel like you don't get enough directors like that anymore. Where like George Roy Hill was like <laughs> Butch Cassidy, The Sting, Great Waldo Pepper, Great Waldo Pepper. Yeah. And funny farm, you know what I mean, yeah. and like slap shot in between, like that's insane yeah. to me. We were talking about that with Sly Stallone, with yeah. some of those directors. Like, you have like these crazy directors in the eighties who are like, he made The Godfather, and then he made you know Jack. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think with this movie, what goes a long way for me is, I mean, the effects, and I will say, uh. Not just with Chevy Chase, although it's obviously he's a big part of it, but the physical performances in this movie I think are wonderful. Um, there's a lot that he does that I just I, I think is great. Like there's the whole scene where he can't eat properly because he can't see his own hand, so he can't like pick up chopsticks properly to like eat the Chinese food that's in his apartment, right? Like, and just well, so just seeing the food digest is like a very carpenter. Oh no! All that like you, you know, get a little bit of the carpenter like gross out, think. yeah, and all and that having to eat transparent like translucent food to not basically gross himself out yeah. when he's digesting. All that stuff's really cool. I think all of the invisible shit is immaculate in this movie in terms of like it's some of it hasn't aged well in terms of like you know Hollow Man and Verhoeven did it a little bit better, perfected it probably a little bit more. But I I do think basically most of the invisible gags work, and the other moment that the physical comedy struck me is just also like when people have to interact with Chevy Chase, right? So there's the moment where he's in, sitting in Sam Neill's office. Sam Neill, by the way, and we haven't really gotten into too much plot Not here. but we'll, strongest performance. No, no. And it's kind of whatever. Sam it's like very mustache twirly. Right. And, uh, but basically- a, Only a year before Jurassic Park, which is so funny mm, to think it, about. This, this, uh, this building that Holloway goes into and falls asleep in a bathroom in has some sort of a meltdown and it turns him and portions of the building invisible, which looks super cool, I think, yeah, that when, was they, like a when, they, when they show it from the outside. Um, and Sam Neill is this essentially like black ops CIA- like Bagman, essentially, right. um, who has to who's like track him he's down. He's like he's gone rogue, yeah. And like Stephen Tobolowski is like the guy who's like stop going rogue. You know, yeah. it's kind of not amazingly drawn and kind no, of no, no, you no. don't know who's in charge of who. Kind yeah, of thing. none. I mean, but, look, none of the characters in this movie are amazingly drawn. But that 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 setup that Sam Neill hears about this guy going invisible and thinks. This guy could be like the world's greatest intelligent ass intelligence asset. That's a terrific cool. setup. And I would imagine I'm curious to know if that was like in the book or not. I'm sure it was in the um, book. Yeah. And look, Alex, you were talking about this earlier. 
a funny thing when watching these movies and just thinking about John Carpenter in general, you were saying how the characters aren't, you know, established amazingly well, maybe in most of these four movies we're going to talk about. One, and I tend to agree, but one thing I love about John Carpenter in the whatever, 11 out of 12 out of the 18 movies I've seen that he's, you know, of, you know, of his theatrical releases. He really gets down to it quickly. Yes. Like, I like the way he makes movies, you know, or writes movies, mm-hmm. directs movies. Like he gets to the point quickly. I like He's that. a very efficient you know storyteller. I mean? it's, it's basically like, this is what's happening. Just, you know what I mean? Yep. I feel like the more movies I watch, the further away we get, you know, you know, 2019, 2020, whatever you lose some of that. Like there seems to be a lot of posturing that might just be me getting old man, get off my lawn or whatever. But like when I watch these movies, I appreciate the old movie quality of like, okay, the movie started. This is what the movie's about. Yep. I think you lose some of that people, you know, the save the cat of it all bullshit gets in the way sometimes. And I appreciate, (laughs) you know, the vampires, ghosts of Mars. It's like, okay, we're on Mars. Shit's got shit went yeah. bad. You know, like all of these four movies yeah. are, I think, very efficient. I, you movies. know, and, and, like, and memoirs sometimes too calls, efficient. Like sometimes right. they're just missing my, things. No, exactly. And that's part of the thing. It's like it might be ultimately to it's to some of the movie's detriment, where it's like with memoirs, you almost want to know more about the Chevy Chase character before the movie or starts. Sam Neill or right. yeah, yeah. There's Instead a you're finding out. You know, another guy who does this, and and I love he's one of my favorite directors is Spike Lee. Right, Spike Lee is a guy who's like. The movie starts. I was like rewatching He Got Game for the seventy fifth thousandth time last night, and it's like He Got Game is a movie where it's like, boom, movie starting. This is the plot. Like we're learning about the characters while we learn about the plot. It's happening all at the same time. Right. And it's like I love that type of writing because let's just go. Let let's just like let's get into it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, and that's like harks back to the William Wyler days, where it's like we only have the this many feet of film and this many, you know, days at the studio. So let's get to the point, you know? I, yeah, sure. So that's one thing about Carpenter that I really appreciate. I mean, he's he is on record as, as having said that 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 is was always exactly the kind of director that he wanted to be. He says he would have been most happy in the studio system of like the 40s and 50s where you're just like just churning movies out and, and it makes, making entertainment. It makes perfect right? sense because those are the movies he grew up on. Like yes, those are the movies, exactly. you know, yeah. like that made him want to make. Well, movies. even like, I mean, you know, speaking of the thing, like the thing from another planet, right? Like, yeah. like what is it? Jamie Lee Curtis is watching the thing from another planet with. Is it thing from another world? Thing from another world. Sorry, yeah. right? Think, yeah, you're right. Thing mm-hmm. from another world. He's she's watching that movie with the kid in Halloween, at the beginning of Halloween. Yeah, you know, I mean, totally. I think that's. I mean, and when he, like we said, when he's at its, when he he is at his best, that's what he's doing. Uh, so I, I kind of want to talk about that. So there's. Two signs, I think, to John Carpenter that are sometimes in conflict. One is that he just he just wants to make entertaining films that make money, right? But then the other side is that he wants as much creative control as he possibly. I can. think that's a thousand percent. Yeah, correct. and and there's there's another thing. So there's a lot to be said for incredibly efficient, like motivated storytelling. There's another thing which which I think about a lot. It's like a it's a William Gibson quote actually, where he points out the importance of gratuitous moves, like things that s- sort of stick out because you can't really figure out why they're there or like why this person is really focusing on this thing so much. And so the best example of that in the the I think the oeuvre of John Carpenter 
is the fight in the middle of they live which is just like it, dr- it drives people nuts right yeah and it just goes on and on and on and it's like roddy roddy piper fighting uh it's not um who is it connor look it up yeah but that fight is like aggravating right but it goes on forever right and it's it's brilliant it's right. utterly utterly brilliant and this is the if you ever seen um uh pervert's guide to ideology uh by the the film by the philosopher um fuck what's his name i'll have to look it up it's not keith david keith david yeah sorry roddy roddy yeah yeah, that's what i I kept wanting has this like eight minute knockdown drag out fight where all he wants to do is to get keith david to put on these glasses and like that's it that's the entire point of the scene Uh, slavo zizek and then like that that little bit is the thing that that Slavoj Žižek like breaks down as as being this like one of the most important like scenes in 20th century cinema. That's fascinating. <laughs> that documentary, by the way, directed by Sophie uh, Sophie Vines, yes. uh, related to Rafe, who we were talking about earlier oh, today. Yeah, off mic, Dan Connor, and I were talking. About, I was like, I'm going to bring. The, so there's a there's a photo going around Twitter of beautiful young Ray Fines and those beautiful fucking eyes and that beautiful hairline. <laughs> it's like Strange Days, Ray yeah, Fines. It's like around there, yeah. And I texted it, or uh, yeah, I texted it to Connor, and Connor goes, "I'm calling him Ralph from now on." And I was like, "Don't you? I'm going to bring. Do. I'm going to take you it. Call back. him Ralph. I'm, That's right. I'm going to take it back. That's the English patient. You're um, but uh. No, but you're right. I mean, this is the thing, right? With with John Carpenter, to, and so yeah. my my point here is that I think that in late Carpenter, which is what we're talking about, you're right. you're like you've got a lot of the efficiency, not the same level of like craft, I think. But the thing that's really missing to me are those gratuitous moves. Uh, like I think those are very much well, absent as like like real style, which he custom. probably ironically can't do in Memoirs of an Invisible Man because he's making a studio movie, sure. like he's making a bigger budget studio movie. So it's like he finally gets to make the movie, you know, in the environment that he might have thought he wanted to make it in. Yes, right in the studio system, and instead is like essentially. Well, it's a good segue stuck. too to just just as a as a counter or in my opinion i suppose to move to vampires right from 1998 mm-hmm. which is to say i do think you get some of that gratuitousness and it works pretty well personally in vampires well because yeah. he has the he has because he has the room to do it which is certainly my favorite of the four we're talking about i john carpenter's by the way john carp every movie it's john carpenter's Vampires, John Carpenter, except Memoirs of Invisible except Man. Except Memoirs of Invisible Man. So, um, I think that that happens in in the mid nineties. Yeah, he yeah, where he just kind of owns that. It must be a contractual thing, and obviously he has the famous Snake Plissken contractual thing, where if if a movie's made with Snake Plissken, there's like I'll I'll I'll, I'll find this link. There's in his stipulation of creating the character of Snake Plissken, if you. If there's a remake or if somebody does the Snake Plissken character, he has to be a badass. And they're like these like funny John Carpenter stipulations. I'll find the link and I'll put well, it in the description. He had the lawsuit about Lockout, right? Yeah. He, yeah. I yeah. think, got paid after that. By the way, yes. Space Jail, Lockout. Lockout. 
fucking really we're gonna do really we're gonna cool. do a guy pierce episode escape on from space the escape from space. Exactly. what was it it was ms1 was the escape was from ms1, MS1 was, was the, the name it was escape from ms1, MS1 was the, they called it lockout but really it's called space jail it should be called space it's jail. yeah that movie's dope it's oh, a great movie yeah. great record uh, so i guess there are really four escape from movies when you consider ghost of mars anyway we'll get into yeah. it so vampires yep 98 um he did not write the script but he did, did do, he do the music, baby. Yeah, he did. And you can hear man, some of it. Oh man. You can hear some of that music right here. Okay, so John Carpenter as a composer, he gets a lot of credit. Okay, I just want to stand on this hill for a minute and then we can move on. He gets a lot of credit. Can't okay, right now. Halloween theme is great. Escape from New York theme, the whole thing, it's great. But I think we just got to say this. Okay, they're not all great. Okay, let's just say. <laughs> sure. I'm just saying, he gets so much credit for being, I mean, he's amazing. You know, multi hyphenate writer, director, composer, I get it. But like, when he when he goes away from the Halloween like the the synth, and he gets into the rock, right? Me and Alex we were all talking about this before we started recording. It gets a little I don't know generic, right? Like he, yeah, I mean, the look, score is kind of once once we once we get here. I'm I'm not really disagreeing with you. Right. I don't really think the score here works. Um, I don't think the Ghosts of Mars score is great. Either he doesn't do the score for the ward, right? Right. Um, I think there's an and like look, um, you you know you you compared him to Walter Hill earlier. I think that's a pretty good comparison because especially not unlike Walter Hill, he is a uh, John Carpenter seems to be a very honest interview, which is super cool. Like in terms of you, you know you. You look at any of his interviews, even back from uh, Alex. You actually dug up an interview that he did. We'll link uh, to it. Yeah, we'll we'll link to it in the article. But um, it's just an interesting t- little timepiece. Um, and it was an interview ahead of, of Vampire. The it was like ninety seven or something like yeah, that. Yeah, where he's basically like <laughs> he talks about how much time he had to which work I, on the music, which and the editing and yeah. the editing, which I think is the key. I mean. I think is the key to why vampires works. I think it's a really fun in terms of editing. I think it's a, I'm not saying it's God. I think it's, I I think it's over edited. Oh, see, I, okay. That's okay. This is interesting. I think it's over edited. I think it's, I think it's edited to a point of, I think it finds the movie. Like, I think it's fun in that respect. There, so, so hang on. Keep going, so, yeah. so to the point of that, we were talking about the gratuitousness of the they live fight. There's a scene early in Vampires, right? So Vampires is essentially, you have James Woods plays Jack Crow. It's a dope name. A dope name. And he is one of these guys who is a vampire hunter as ordained and assigned by the Vatican, right? It's a really, gr- cool, I mean, the best- Cool premise. Yeah, the be- it's the best thing about the movie. So they're like yeah. south of the border or like right on the border, right, uh, US, and they come upon this, you know- A nest. Nest, yeah. right? It's like a shitty house. And the opening scene is essentially him and Daniel Baldwin, who is the fourth Baldwin brother. You got Alec, you got Billy, you got Steven, 
And you got Daniel. And so it's Daniel Baldwin is the right-hand man of James Woods. And they have a whole crew. And they're vampire hunters. And they find this nest. And they essentially, uh, Daniel Baldwin, whose name is Montoya, which is a whole thing. It's just hysterical in its own right. Feels like it was probably a different character. Yeah, for another character. Another and, type of guy. And um, uh, became Daniel Baldwin. Yeah. And nobody changed anything. But anyway, so. Wasn't it going to be Alec Baldwin, though? I was wish. It? I wish. It was going to be Alec Baldwin. Is yeah. that true? Yeah. And like, we can't get Alec? Do we have Daniel? Do I we was... have Steven? Do Alec Baldwin Billy? suggested his brother. Is that true? That is true. Can I, oh, can wow. I say something? I, I like Daniel Baldwin in this movie. I think he's pretty good. Yeah. And also, yeah. let's also take this opportunity. Amazingly weird cast in these movies, which I love. So strange. Cheryl Lee. Cheryl Lee, Laura Palmer yep. herself, who gives a pretty intense physical. No, no, no. Every, like, but hang on. Let me just quickly yeah, say. Go ahead. So they find this nest. What you learn is that they're hunting vampires. There's always a master at all these in all these nests. Then they literally go in. They find essentially their coffins, versions of their coffins, and they drag them out with this whole contraption. Daniel Baldwin has this car. They like hook them and they drag them out in the sunlight and they burn up in this really kind of cool 1998 special effect, whatever. They hook yeah. them with a crossbow, right. by the way. Yeah, yeah. it's so really it's this, cool. that whole setup is really but fucking so awesome. They, actually, they set it up and they find the vampires, and then there's this montage of them hooking all of these vampires and it's like dissolve to dissolve to dissolve of them hooking the vampires. one second they the first two right almost kill them yeah and then the they first get like two almost wipe them out and speaking of you know not demonstrating right. uh competence, uh, competence. Yeah. and then you cut to the montage which i of love i'm getting the other seven but i love that because it's yeah. so it's so weird you just want to hear fun. like you want to hear like taking care of business yeah, like while it, they're well, doing it or I wish something because not to not to shit on the score but then you have the rock music playing and they just get all these vampires and they're burning up and then it ends and like yeah hard day's work we're all done and then jack didn't find the master though. jack crow's yeah. like he's a little bummed he's like i don't know the master is one thing that pissed me off is they drive away and the master is in a dirt grave <laughs> 50 feet yeah. away nobody does reconnaissance no, and, 70 people you can't no, just walk around and, the house and just and, like hey and, there's a doug gray raider you think the master vampire yeah like right there? anyway the, the movie sets up at, I mean, this is the beginning of the movie yeah, but yeah. as you go on the movie sets up something that we feel like they know which is that like the masters tend to come out of their graves at night it's like okay yes yeah, so you're not going to find the master in there just wait till the sun goes down but then they have the rule the where they they're can't protective of their brood or yeah whatever. i guess so, so so essentially without giving the whole thing away they go to celebrate a hard day's work the master's still alive Really cool villain performance, I thought, by Thomas Ian Griffith. No, nah, he's whatever. Connor shaking his he's head. Fine. I disagree. Anyway, it's Ma- okay. It's, it's, it's fine. It's just kind of like still alive. I think the makeup is cool. Yes, he I agree. Invades their party. He fucking bites the shit out of one of the gals they're hanging with, who is Cheryl Lee, who is Laura Palmer from Twin Peaks. She gets bitten, but in the world of this movie, it takes a few days to turn. Yeah, and he. With his hand, like rips apart the whole crew of vampire hunters, except for James Woods, Daniel Baldwin. And on their way out, James Woods realized that Laurel Palmer has been bitten and they can use her and then they take her. So it's Cheryl Lee, it's Daniel Baldwin, it's James Woods on the run from the master vampire. And the and then what gets revealed is 
all this stuff. Essentially, the Catholic Church accidentally invented vampires and then invented these people to hunt them as a make good. Pretty cool. It's, it's a cool. Yeah, it's a cool um, concept. Also based on a novel, by the way. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. And um, it's just one of these things where it's it's a Western archetype, which I love, first of all. Sure. I Look. This is John Carpenter's Western. Yeah. I mean, I would argue he's made a few of them. Right. But this yeah. was this like was an actual West. In the yeah, West. that's right. true. Right. Yeah, sure. It's like in and, the West, sure. very much like a Shane type of a scenario. Yeah. This was also, I, I believe this was like one of the first times that he was sort of brought out of retirement. Like after Escape from L.A., he was really disillusioned. <laughs> Yeah, and so this the reason he came back for this was because it was his chance to make like a real. Oh, western. you mean the movie where at the end he blows up California? Yeah, he one. was disillusioned. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you know, Escape from L.A. Right, so they go into post. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm talking to two post production people right here. Right, they go into post on Escape from L.A. and and who, I, I will look who produced it. The production company's like the studio is literally like, oh yeah, we have half of the budget for the effects. Yeah, like that's I mean. That's obviously the word of John Carpenter and who knows, blah, blah, blah. But like it shows in Escape from L.A., which famous has famously, infamously bad effects, right? You know? Yeah. So it's I like think a, really uh, the company like, who did it, it had never done movie effects before. They were like a video game company. Um, well, I think the studio, yeah, like shielded it to a, like a low rent scenario yeah. kind of a deal. And so, I mean, look, Carpenter, like we said before, Carpenter's one of these dudes. Like I think of Joe Dante too. Like he's one of these dudes. Joe, da Joe Dante was this young, fresh voice. He made Gremlins. It was a shock hit. And people were like, oh, fuck, Joe Dante, what's up? And he never was able, he was never able to do it again. Not that he didn't make great movies. He did. The Burbs, super underrated, right? Like- Plenty of movies he made, you know, matinee, you know, you Gremlins 2. Well, yeah, Gremlins 2, the new batch. I mean, it's an insane movie, right? So it's not like they're not doing good work. It's just that the public is not receiving it the same way. And Carpenter, it's similar. He never really made Halloween again, like for the public. And now he's in a part of his career where he's basically semi-retired again and he's kind of doing a victory lap and they're making the Halloween movies again and he's more involved and he's helping with the score and it's like yeah you guys remember John Carpenter he was great and it's a little sad but it's also nice because you love John Carpenter but you know you want him to make another movie and who knows but regardless Vampires performs okay basically makes its money back I will say that I like I said before I think James Woods Obviously, he's become, with every passing year, a more insane political right-wing presence. I love him in this movie. I think he is... Uh, I think he's fine. I just... And again, I don't think this is the fault of really anybody involved in this movie. Like, I think he... Um, I just wish... And I think I said this to you, Alex. Like, in like a, you know... Uh, in a world where I could just cast anything, like in a dream casting kind of world, I, w I wish it was Kurt Russell. Like, I feel like Kurt Russell, same role, like you, because I feel like a big part of the, um, the Jack Crow character that's like not great is like, he's just so unlikable. Like, he's so mean. And it's not a Woods thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, it's not because I know who James Woods is now. It's just even the way Woods plays the character and the way the character is written, he and Daniel Baldwin both are so unlikable. And I think that I think that's interesting and could be compelling. But I feel like when you do that with a character in a movie like this, you have to at least 
soften it with someone who at least has a likable presence. I, um, I think my reaction to it was I was thinking about my my experience of James Woods as an actor, and I think my only big one is Videodrome, where he's Max Wren, who is also just an unrepentant asshole sure. to extraordinary effect. Like, yeah. That's an amazing movie and an amazing part. And I think I I, I want to like him in this, like as another like huge asshole who yeah. does a lot of bad shit. But I don't buy like the physicality of him in the role. I don't buy him as an action hero. Or I wish it was like Nick that's an Cage. Interesting, that's an interesting point as an action hero. Yeah, I like another great asshole James Woods performance from early James Woods is him Hercules. in Hercules. Yeah, is him in um, Salvador, directed by uh, Oliver Stone from the early '80s. Him and John Savage. If you get a chance, check that one out. Really great James Woods performance. I mean, James Woods, I mean, look, here's the deal. He's a great actor, right? I mean, famously hard to work with, right? Famous, you know, just Carp Carpenter knew it. I think he right. I think he he said as much in that in that interview from ninety seven where he was just like, I know how to like wrangle him. Yeah. Right. He made a movie in the early nineties called Digstown, um, which it's him and Bruce Dern is in it. It's an amazing movie. So was, I mean, like, what was that set like? Oh, I know. Yeah, but <laughs> point is, I mean, he's one of these guys. He has the chops. You know what I mean? Sure. It's just It's just a matter of kind of his demeanor, and whatnot. But I, that's an interesting point, Alex. I guess you're right. The action hero thing. Yeah, I guess it's a little silly in moments, right? Where he's meant to be this like capable, like when he's at the end, he's like temporarily fighting the big bad, and it is very like. That is and that, a terrible thing. That, yeah. that, and that, no, that scene. Yeah, I, I have no defense. I will say, yeah, no, the coordination this, and the choreography of that. I think fight, this movie, yeah. I agree with you in that it, I think it moves really well. It's really, really tight. I think sometimes too tight. I think uh, my boy John Carpenter loves his crossfades. Loves him in the, loves him in this movie. Loves him in all four of the movies we've talked. Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about. Oh, swipes. Just all of it. No, We're it's a, it all. no, no, no. It's crazy and. Uh, Particularly in the scene where uh, Thomas Ian Griffith, who plays the the Valak, yeah, Valak the, 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 like the main the villain, bad... uh, like the OG vampire, basically yeah, not Dracula, uh, not Dracula, yeah, Dracula. Um, he basically like there the scene where he's killing everybody at the motel. It just like crossfades to him, keep, like, and it feels almost like Carpenter just shot the coverage that he needed of each person getting killed, but didn't bother to like actually construct. An action scene, or a, like, or really think about right. how the action's going to play out. The death of Mark Boone Jr. The first death is amazing. Is shock is amazing. Cool. Mark Boone Jr. Like you recognize him. He was in Memento. He Dark had a Knight. yeah. Uh, Batman Begins. Batman, Batman Begins. Begins. He yelled at me once on the streets of New York because we were filming. And I was sure, like, yay, sure. Um, he wasn't very nice. It's okay. I'm it's sure okay. He's, he, I'm, he, I'm sure he was having a bad. Day. He got his due in vampires. I'm sure he was having a bad day. Um, no, there's. I mean, there's a lot of cool shit like that in it. Um, but I feel like by the time it gets to the third act, when they're like facing off, um, who was uh, doing effects on this? I'll uh, look it up. I'll look it up. The because effects are a big sell. Yeah, no, no, no. I think I think it's like it, I don't really like this movie. I, I mean, it's okay, but I just it. What's frustrating about it for me is I feel like it is just sort of a nudge away with 
some of the right missing elements to being like a really good movie to like to the point where you'd be like, oh yeah, John Carpenter's John Carpenter's Vampires. It's great. Alex, did um, you do you what do you do you like this movie? Like generally, do you walk away from Vampire saying I like this or what do you think? Um I I rewatched it not having watched it since probably high school. I I really dug it in high school. Watching it now, it was it was pretty pretty underwhelming. Um, but but again, I think mostly because there's all the great like world building and inventiveness, but it's really in the first scene. Like it basically sets up all the cool stuff in the first like raid on the the vampire nest and yeah. then never builds on that successfully. Right. Like you really uh I think you, you and I were talking about this we were talking we were comparing it to like you know we we compared this movie to a movie like Way of the Gun, right? Which like is a very similar like Macquarie wanting to make his neo-western type thing, but that movie at the very least has the payoff of the really amazing standoff at the end. And this movie I feel like tries to tease something like that up and it just doesn't succeed. It, like vampires it, as sort of a, a like as it's it's you sell it as a west neo-western vampire remake of the wild bunch and it sounds great yes except it never has anything like that that like amazing shootout at the end of the wild bunch right and i think part of it also is that it's just not like it doesn't have that star power like it just doesn't have somebody in there that you can just be like ooh yeah i like just I like watching this person, even though they treat Cheryl Lee like shit, which is like kind of tough to watch at certain parts. A good performance um, by her, I thought. That, no, no, I think she's know, she's I, basically turning the whole movie. Yeah, it's a very physical. Performance. I think those are some of the highlights. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's just sort of uh, her sort of being entranced, right? Yeah, but but it, and it could be really silly that could easily not work and i think she plays it really well she sells it as as basically sympathetic which i like yeah. i think i think the fact that daniel baldwin's such a piece of shit to her kind of helps because you're just like this poor woman like she just she doesn't even know what's happening to her and these and granted like the movie tries to take the side of like look they know right like they know they're just following their rules and whatever but i it almost feels like an excuse for obviously for bad behavior kind of well the no the movie takes the side of them being horrible people like it's like there there's a scene with james woods and the young priest right where where he's um, like a lot of homophobia right? oh god well just off the charts like yeah. well yeah. but but it's a scene where uh the priest is trying to appeal to james woods like inner goodness like right, angels, that he yeah. believes is in there james woods says i i need to know these things and i will cut you and then james woods winds up like cutting the guy's hand with a knife sure and like that's that's your well, character that's, development that's for james the wild woods. bunch that's the wild bunch that you're talking that's about. james yeah, right. woods the peck what's and paw interesting is that that uh that what's the baldwin's name daniel baby so daniel baldwin has a character arc sure yeah, because he and like an interesting punches one. Laura Palmer and then falls in love with her thirty minutes later. Which I <laughs> that's a tough sell. I don't. I I like this movie more than you guys because like at the end, that's great. The thing at the, at the end, I'll let you is talk about dope, it. Yeah. right? Like so, spoilers, but they go through the whole thing and there is. By the way, let me just before I forget, the company that did the effects is. Um, Pacific Title, which was an old post-production house in Hollywood that actually went out of business in like 08. Sad. But there's, um, is it 
there's some there's some big uh oh like gore, in, in effects person gore effects oh, okay, name okay. In copy it. that i but, don't think it's ted savini but that is it's not ted savini but that is the the name of the company but regardless um so me and alex were talking this before we started recording one kind of egregious screenwriting that the movie does is when it gets to that pretty bad fight between the master and the valak and uh james woods at the end of the movie valak doesn't kill james woods because you learn only because the movie needs you to learn this that they need james woods to perform this ritual so that valak can be can roam during the day and during the night and they need a sacrifice which you never hear about until the moment james woods about is about to be killed right so that's an example of kind yeah. of just bad construction hey, do you know how you fix that and easily make this a better movie tell me you have the scene where valak murders all like the entirety of james woods's vampire hunting team right but instead of just kind of james woods escaping valak explicitly lets him live right. and walks away. And so getting out of that, James Woods is not wondering who set us up. He's wondering, why did he let me live? Well, because the other right, thing- Because the movie yeah. kind of suggests that Valak is, there's a there's an idea in the performances that Valak knows he has to do that. But- But the it, only thing- It that, is that thing of sometimes sometimes you should treat the audience like an idiot, right? Like, like it's that idea, like that's, that's a harsh way to say it. But like, to your point, Sometimes you do need to tell the audience, like, this is what's going on. Especially right. in a movie where they're already doing that. Right, you're there's, building a world. There's so much like... dialogue in this movie, and I don't, not even in a bad way. I appreciate it about the movie. It's, it's so on the nose with all of its exposition. Yeah. There's just straight up where they're like, these are the rules of the master, and these are the blah, blah, blah. And, these are, and like they set up all the rules. Like, half of the dialogue in the movie is the rules and explaining things. And for a movie that's as you know, tight and short as this is. Uh, it's under two hours. All these movies, you know, all yeah. these movies are short. Um, Carpenter, baby. It, Efficient. It, yeah, no, I appreciate it. But it is, yeah, it's like to just then not explain certain things feels, to your point, Alex, feels weird. Because it's just like, yeah, you're already, just give it to me. Because you're already explaining all the other stuff. Like, Well, the thing that you have to go on is that Valak knows Jack's name, right? And to him, that's a Which key you of like, find that out who till, set me up yeah, or like whatever. Right. Through, right. But like that doesn't, that's not really important ultimately. Yeah, it's What's not important, enough. Like, yeah. No, it's the, a special special thing. Yeah. Like to your point is that James Woods needs to be alive. They right. need the blood of a crusader for this sacrifice. Right. Because then another thing, I don't know if we mentioned, you basically learn at the end of the movie, spoilers, um, skip ahead five minutes if you don't want to like get to the, you know, watch the movie. I would recommend watching it. So, but anyway. They reveal that the like one of the cardinals of this whole setup, one of the Vatican cardinals, is turned, and he's like, "I'm afraid of death." Maximilian Shell. I made yeah. a deal literally with the devil, literally with this master demon uh, vampire, to live forever if I deliver this black cross that Valak's been searching for for 600 years, so he can so he can roam in the day and then in the night. So the young priest who basically feels like he betrayed his faith by telling James Woods everything he needed to know when James Woods cut him ultimately is like the last hope, you know, and is a deus ex priest at the end of the movie. Yeah. You have this whole Raiders of the Lost Ark sequence. Where, with a shotgun. With a shotgun. So that all happens. And I, I was thoroughly entertained uh, despite the writing shortcuts uh, at the end. And then the, what we alluded to earlier – the ending ending, which I love, 
is Daniel Baldwin has been bitten multiple times, you find out, by Laura Palmer. And they have fallen in love and they've both been- Cheryl, Cheryl Lee. <laughs> so they are getting in the car to drive away. And James Woods obviously knows they're going to turn. And it's about to be, you know, full daylight. And and James Woods is like, when did she first bite you? And Daniel Baldwin's like, two days ago. But I stood by you the whole time. And James Woods is like, well, you're right. Well, you gave me two days. I suppose all I could do is give you two, two you know, two days, you know, return of the favor, give you two days. And he's like, but just know that I will find you, you know, and, and it's I like, will, and, and I will hug, kill you. And yeah. it's a great Western moment. No, it's That's a good, a great ending. I it's love a, that ending. It almost feels like he got like half, I don't know. I, maybe it's in the book. That's too. the shit. I it love. could like, be in the book. I'm not fucking sure. Awesome searchers. Like, yeah, it does feel like something though. will come for you. I love that. It love does it. feel like it's, I mean, you know, it's got a, it, it's like the thing, the thing has kind of an ending like that. That's yeah. also awesome. Yes. Um, it's an incredibly toxic masculine romance. Sure. Yeah. Cause the thing, cause the thing, what's the last line? It's like, who's going to fall asleep first or whatever. What's the, what is it? It's like, it's who are the last two people? It's like, it's Russell, Keith. It's Keith David. Keith, Keith David and yeah. Russell. Good old Keith. Keith Love David's Keith. fucking great. Keith David's amazing. And we'll get this with Ghost of Mars. The Ghost of Mars trailer, which totally, totally sells the movie in a tonal way that it is not. But whatever. Well, let's. I mean, are we? Do we want to say anything else about vampires? Well, but I'm just gonna say we can go to Ghost of Mars. But who narrates the Ghost of Mars trailer? It's Keith David. Keith fucking. David. And you can hear that trailer right here. The master of terror. John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. Damn, girl. I like you already. So, any final word on vampires? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm i like middle of the road with it. There are things I like about it. I just, I feel like it's so close to being, a, the threshold of it becoming a much better movie than it is, is not that wide. Like wide. So, it's it's a little disappointing to me because I feel like it sort of just misses. Yeah. I think the, the frustrating thing to me about it is just a lack of inventiveness because John Carpenter is an inventive filmmaker when he's trying and the premise is inventive but it, the, yes but that's not, not, not his that's not right that yeah yeah interesting. like so there i think ultimately given that this is adapted from source material that did establish a lot of stuff beforehand like it's it's hard to say that there's really a lot of like creative innovative stuff going on in this i feel like his innovations and i again i haven't read the book i it would it feels like his innovations came more from like i just want to make a western so like, let me just make a Western and I'll plug this like vampire plot into it. Kind and, of. and though I hear your criticisms and tend to agree, <laughs> I was not disappointed and really enjoyed it. So Julie Mecca likes vampires, oh, yeah, right? Oh, Doesn't, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Even though Past I want to call guests. her out, my, yeah. my lovely mother on this podcast, I brought up to her gleefully that we were doing this movie as part of our John Carpenter episode and she like didn't remember it. Oh, like broke we'll never my heart. Mind. I was like, okay. "Mom, you love this movie. We talked about this movie." She was like, "I don't know if I remember." I was like, "Mom, man, like, this is a memory." Maybe, maybe it you like invented it. back the Heineken thing that we talked about yeah. a million years ago on the Hugh Jackman thing. This whole thing about how I love Heineken because I thought my dad loved Heineken for years and years, and it turns out that that was all fabrication based on like advertising. Like, and my dad never liked it, and now, but the irony is now we both like it. 
because of you invent Don Draper. You, you, you invented it. You yeah. willed a memory. Yeah, you invented a memory. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, you know, ad- advertising for doing that. But speaking of enjoying movies, even though they might not be that good, I will continue to stand on my hill as we move into <laughs> Ghosts of Mars, or as it was initially supposed to be, Escape from mars escape from new york three escape yeah. from three it was the third escape movie um would have been a i would have been a fucking great snake plissken movie i, think. I still i don't know we're, we'll get into it would have been cube. a w- i'm into ice yeah cube. You, you can't even compare ice cube in this movie to kurt russell as snake uh, plissken. Des- james desolation williams i mean dope name dope name you know it's a better name snake plissken sure but <laughs> if we're ranking names it's like Snake Plissken. They're th- that siren out there. Cypher they're, Rage. They're coming for you right now. Snake Plissken, Cypher Rage from After Earth and Desolation Williams. So, you know. Cypher Rage is a great name. There are a couple. Um, I mean, Jack Crow, great name. There are some good yeah, names. Carpenter. Flo- Nick Holloway, great name. A lot of, a lot of good names. So, uh, around. Nada from They Live. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. True. Um, okay. So, Ghost of Mars, 2001. The movie that would result in, like we said before, Carpenter's semi-retirement from making movies. Mm-hmm. His like second semi-retirement. Is- cost $28 million, made 14 was kind of a huge disappointment uh, for all involved. Screen Gems movie, um, as we said, was going to be the third Snake Plissken movie, but because of the failure of Escape from LA, the studio was shy about doing that, so it got re- engineered and became a vehicle for a character named James Desolation Williams. Jason Statham was initially cast in the role, but because he wasn't that well known at the point, because he wasn't that well known at the point, he, at that point in his career, the studio insisted on the casting of Ice Cube. So, uh, as you said, Gunner, it's insane to imagine a world where Ice Cube was a bigger name than action action name than Jason Statham. I know. It's, yeah. it's weird to think about. No, that. when oh, you think one. about the time, it, it to- makes total sense. It's not like insane in context, but it is just like now looking at insane. it now, you're like, Jason Statham was trying to have hair, which is a huge bummer for him in this movie. Yeah, they uh-huh. really should have just let the hair go. I right. mean, he, which he was smart enough well, to did. do right. uh, you know, a year later, right? Like, But so, yeah. So good on Jason Statham, I suppose, for then taking another role, right? Because he essentially becomes Jericho, who's like the third lead in the movie. Yeah. And Ice Cube takes the kind of co-lead. I mean, Natasha Hendricks is She's the lead. It's her movie, yeah. Anyway, so it becomes Ghost of Mars instead of Escape from whatever three, you know. And um, I enjoy the movie. I mean, I rewatched it for this podcast. I liked it, you know, fucking 17 years ago when I saw it for the first time. I still like it. I acknowledge a million problems of it. We'll talk about it. What do you guys think? Oh, we'll start with you, Connor. Uh, I don't really like it very much. I, I, I like I like it less than vampires, um, but not unlike vampires. It's I, and to Carpenter's credit, I can see the things in it. Like I can see the world building and the general premise that's appealing in it, especially for someone like him. Um, you know, we talk about movies like this a lot on this show where. I can see why everybody involved says yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, I bet on paper it feels like an awesome John Carpenter movie. Um, and I, I just think in execution, there's a lot that goes wrong. I think it's miscast. I think 
Um, it's it's undercooked uh, in terms of. I mean, I think the money's on screen. Like, I think uh, generally speaking, the production design is is pretty good. And the effects got a lot of criticism when it came out. The like, I think people at the time too were like expected. You know, everybody. You know, you want big budget CG effects. I know people were shitting on like the model train basically that shuttles them back and forth to the outposts. I think the train is super cool. Like, and the fact that it's a model, I kind of really appreciated. Um, Lots of great miniatures in, yeah, like, like in the tail end of the era when people made movies. Yeah, there's just some cool practical shit going on in the movie that I really appreciated. Um, I think it basically feels like a video game. All I kind of wanted to do was play Doom uh, while watching it. Like I was just right. It, Doom. It, yeah. it uh, it's a better movie than Doom, I suppose. <laughs> like it's a better Doom movie than Doom is. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted it to be better. I like because the, the, the had you seen it before? I had. I don't know if I had seen it all the way through. I vaguely remember. Um, uh, like a, a buddy of mine in school, like loving it. And I think we may have watched like half of it. But that buddy was a Martian ghost, right? So, uh, no, that buddy was Ice Cube. Oh, yeah. okay. So, well, that explains a lot. Yeah. Ice Cube, fun fact, hates this movie. It's his least favorite movie he's made. Yeah, I kind of agree with him. I don't know. <laughs> like it's, it, uh, I don't know if it, no, maybe it's not my least favorite Ice Cube movie, but, um, but yeah, I, I think the world building's pretty cool but it again it feels undercooked like i like the idea the 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 uh the matriarchy matri- matriarchal society that they that they sort of tee up is kind of cool i was i was wondering if maybe it's it's interesting that that's seeing that as a follow up to vampires which, sure. which was on release, like like uh, criticized for for misogyny. Sure, and then I can't imagine why. <laughs> up with this film, which establishes a a colony on Mars, which is explicitly a matriarchy, and so all of the like authority figures on this planet are women. Sure, and I mean, and the authority figures in the movie, right? Like Pam Greer. Uh, yeah, Pam Greer is the commander, like who, who I like. Who's you know, cool? She's in, I, yeah, the first it's like, not in it enough. That's yeah, right. I wish she was in more of it. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um. This is, this is the tail end of the Jackie Brown comeback, right? This is oh yeah. one. So Jackie Brown's ninety seven. So it's kind of like, hey, Pam Greer, you know, and, um, and then Natasha Hendridge, who's her model, whose first role was in the Roger Donaldson movie, uh, Species from ninety five. And this was kind of her tail end of, you know, is is there a world where Natasha Hendricks is a movie star type deal? When Whole Nine Yards was a couple of years before this and um, this movie. And then after this, it's kind of not, you know, she works in TV now and is still working, but never obviously, you know, elevated to that level. Um, I like her well enough in this movie, to be honest. But, um, you know, it, this movie did not do well. So, you know, like I said before, it kind of resulted in, I think, Carpenter throwing his hands up and being like, you know what? I'm good for a while. Alex, so would you, do you like this or what do you think? Um, uh, I, I like that this, I like it as sci-fi to a certain point. Right. And, you know, John Carpenter, best known as a horror filmmaker. I really like John Carpenter as a sci-fi filmmaker. Like, as, I agree. A, as a huge sci-fi fan myself. Like, and so... 
in that sense, again, it's it's the world building, it's the setting, it's all the production design, uh, lots of really, really cool stuff. You have even some shots of the, the sort of uh, ancient alien structures and stuff. It yeah. does not remotely compare to something like um, Total Recall in terms of like like the the, the detail. You're, the you're of course, talking about the Colin Farrell remake. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. Right. Yeah. Um, but but like this is a much smaller scale, but it is, I don't know, it's it's kind of from some, it's some fun pulpy stuff. Yeah. I mean, Carpenter is quoted in, you know, whatever, different interviews, basically lamenting the critical, you know, uh, lamb lambast like critics hated this movie right critics never liked carpenter period right which is an interesting point to make right because like his probably most critically acclaimed movie is starman right which is his most spielberg movie you know what i mean yeah. it's his most like you know and which, but it is a, wonderfully made it's an amazing movie yeah, i'm not it not is wonderfully made. Away for and i think one of his least known sure i, I, I think say. by now by yeah. 2019 i think it's lo- largely forgotten weirdly could maybe be a b-side despite all of its acclaim at the time um critically at least but you know, people hated Ghosts of Mars when it came out critically. And, you know, Carpenter's quoted as being like, I wanted to make a schlocky movie. It's called Ghosts of Mars. Like, people took it seriously. Like, it's supposed to be silly. Which is kind of, it's funny to me because it reminded me a little bit, Connor, of Supernova. Yes. Because when you, we already heard the trailer, Screen Gems sold the movie straight. Yeah. Which is a mistake because it's not. Like, you, it's like 90 minutes of like, Silly makeup and ridiculous plotting. The movie's essentially it's just, closer to Big Trouble in Little China yeah, than it is Halloween. It, it's like certainly it's, more like that. It's like yeah. a police force is on a train going to this mining outpost where there's been a report of you know they need to pick up this prisoner, James Williams, James Desolation Williams, Ice Cube, and he's apparently he's murdered twenty five people and decapitated them. Which okay, and they get there and it turns out, of course, that he has committed a crime of theft, but not murdered the people because, of course, the people were not murdered by him, but by these ghosts of Mars. And they all of a sudden find themselves in a situation where they're at this mining outpost, overrun by these old Martian spirits who believe them to be invaders and are overtaking their bodies in a thing sort of a way. And well, it's it's another siege movie. Right, just like yeah. uh, it's assault, uh, assault, it's on, assault precinct on precinct thirteen. Yeah. Uh, Prince of Darkness, right? Which I had actually I hadn't seen Prince of Darkness. I had only just seen recently. That I think is a great example of uh, of I just think his uncanny world building done right, where it's just this. It's a whole bunch of stuff that shouldn't fit together, but he work, makes work together really nicely. It is kind of this amalgam of like those two sides of comp- Carpenter a little bit. It's like sci-fi Carpenter and horror Carpenter, like really coming together nicely. Um, I do wish that it was scarier. That's something. I've it's certainly really not. I was yeah. It's certainly not scary. Ghosts of Mars. There's wait. Not, are we, were you talking about Prince of Darkness or uh, Ghosts of Mars? Oh yes. I wish yeah. Ghosts of Mars was yeah. was scarier than yeah. it is. Ghost, and I wish it was a better action movie. And yeah. it Ghosts should, of Mars is like action horror. There's yeah. Like never. Yeah. I'm like I said. I'm a. I get scared at anything. And sure. I I was certainly kind of even in rewatching it, kind of like oh yeah, this is like maybe. I mean, if I'm being totally honest, maybe that's why I like it because like. 
you know, 14 year old Dan, when he watched it, was probably like, oh, it's not that scary. Like, I enjoyed it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I thought it was going to be really I just, hard to watch. No, but I wish, I totally agree. I wish it was scarier. Like, the the villain of the film, or I mean, villain, I, I, you know, I don't even know. The, he's not in it much. He's like the lead crazy dude basically has zero character do they have names i kept wanting to call them reavers because they're very similar to the reavers from firefly yeah they um, are i mean yeah it's even in con that. even in concept basically it's like you know they basically were all these like miners who got uh miners ers who cool uh, thing about this movie who, like, is they filmed possessed. it at a new mexico mining post and they died all the Love it was um sand or whatever. Yeah, it red. was it yeah, it was a white ah, I forget. It's like what, a, it was like a white sand. Yeah, and scenario. they and they sprayed it all red basically. Which is cool. Yeah, no, it's cool. And and look, like that's that's kind of what I meant when I said before, like to a certain degree, the money's on the screen. Like it doesn't feel like a cheaply made movie for the most part. Um, I think all the costuming's really great for all the I'm just gonna call them Reavers because that's all that, that I have in my head, but for all the basically space crazies, like all of their stuff is really dope. The villain looks great. Yeah, like looks. He he remind me a lot of the Kurgan from uh from Highlander kind of, um, had that kind of thing to him. D definitely some cool shit going on. But he actually that character, he basically uh talks only in vowels because the the prosthetic teeth that he was wearing like didn't really allow him to do anything else so he sounds just like a joke like there's no voice modulation there's nothing like that and He's also the... that's really easy to fix yeah you just you dub him you dub him with, with some, some more modulation on yeah and, and you just well it's funny it sounds similar but weirdly more simplified to the language quote-unquote language that bridges does in starman which is like an actual language. In the opening of yeah. Starman, he starts speaking to Karen Allen in this alien language, and she yeah. obviously doesn't know what he's talking about. Blah, yeah. Blah, blah. And it's like, you know, 17 years later, the guy from Ghost of Mars is doing like a way more simplified version of it, which I suppose you can defend because they're meant to be these like primordial people, but still. It yeah. just doesn't. It, it's, it doesn't work. It's never sold as truly menacing. Like I was ne like looking at that dude, he looks horrifying, right? But like I was never at w any point in the movie like intimidated by him. Pam Greer's decapitated head was bothered me because I love Pam. Sure. But and you don't you don't get it even get a death scene. I know she dies off screen. Off screen that yeah. I will say is shameful. That's it up. feels it feels like kind of an anemic movie a little bit, like yeah. because of that, because it feels like there are things that are just like missing. Like yeah. like Jason Statham dies on. I mean, granted, he also wasn't Jason Statham at the time, so it doesn't really matter as much. Right. But like he dies on screen, but like very quickly. Like I had to rewind because I was like, wait, when did like they, you know. Also, I guess spoilers for all of Ghosts of Mars. We're well, just kind of like, yeah. hey, Clay, you have Clay Duvall's in this as well, who was on a hot, you know, she, she was in a lot of movies at this point in the early 2000s. She dies, but at least she gets like a death. She does. You know, she like does. you see it and it's like a fun, gory death. Fun fact, of. this is right before Statham is in his two him versus Jet Li movies. You remember that? He's <laughs> oh, in he's the in one, the one. Yeah. And he's in War. Yeah. He has, and he has hair in the one, and he doesn't in, in war. war. Yeah. Right. Because I, I think, think they were made a few years apart. Because yeah. remember the one? Like, 
I kind of people were like, I, I kind of like a cool one. movie. I kind of like. Just remember, one. like, have you ever seen the one, Alex? I, I think about that movie all the time. Do you really? <laughs> <laughs> the such one. a great. It's such a concept. good premise. You know who probably would have directed kind of the cool shit movie. out of the one? Kind of a cool John movie. Carpenter. Well, yeah. Eh. Jet like Lee, at the end what? with the space jail you in the one, Jet, you know, you know what the thing with Jet Li was. I, I think when you think about his transition to like American movies or whatever, in comparison to Jackie Chan, which is of course you know people do that just naturally. Um, he didn't have that X factor of of the like of the self awareness, right? Yeah, that was the difference. Like Super, Jackie Chan yeah. had all of the stunt chops. And was funny, right? And, and charismatic, was like charismatic, and, yeah, and, and a good Jenny actor. Just yeah. Never had that same amount, right? Like when you go back and you think about those movies, because like a movie that a Jet Li movie that I actually kind of low key think is very good is Kiss of the Dragon from 01 with him and Bridget Fonda. Yeah, which is like a straightforward kind of like more like a Bruce Lee like exploitative you know it's like an action movie just straight up and Jet Li's great in that movie and I always think like if he'd went that way it, he just played it like straight as an arrow like let's just make dope action movie you know what I mean like let's I mean he kind of did for he a kind of did but, but then I think he, you know it's an interesting his career is an interesting one because I really think there was a window there and he just I don't know what it was maybe the wrong projects I he, I, I, I mean, I, he's retired now, but I if, he, if, he, think, if yeah, he pops I, up again. I wish he had had like two more. Yeah. You know, like two more movie star shots. We got Hero, though. Hero's dope. Oh, Hero is great. Yeah. I love Hero. Yeah. Um, anyway, this has been the Jet Li B-Side. Yeah. So, we're going to sign you off. For, thank you for, for listening. listening. Um, yeah. I mean, anything else you guys want to say about Ghost of Mars, just generally? I, I love... I love that Ice Cube looks into the lens camera at the end. Movie. It is a very, it's a very Carpenter ending. And they do the whole thing. That's like an Ice Cube shout out where at the end of the movie, it's a Butch and Sundance ending where essentially there's this terrible framework. Speaking of bad narration, there's this terrible, <laughs> there's this terrible framework where I think it's terrible. I like the movie, but this bothered me. Natasha Hendricks is like recalling what has happened throughout the movie to this council and it's like this you know framework narration blah, 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 blah. and then at the end of the movie the council's like she walks out of the room and the council's like so we don't believe her right fucking she sucks right guys wow and you, crazy story yeah huh? and you just go like well then why did <laughs> we just listen to it for 80 minutes yeah you know? and then they essentially she walks out they get attacked right because the ghosts of mars are real which obviously we know and she thinks she's about to get invaded by the ghosts of Mars. And it's obviously Ice Cube who's got a cool chrome gun. And he's like, let's shoot our way out of this. When he shows and up I, and well, he's like, hi, Natasha Hentridge. And I'm they Ice do Cube. this whole line where they're like, Cube is like, if you ever want to switch sides and become a criminal, you'd be good at it. And then she's like, you could be a good cop. And then they look at each other as though as like a reference to NWA. Yeah. And they're like, nah. And then he looks at the camera. And you know what? Maybe I'm an easy lay. I liked it. And the movie ends. Roll credits. Okay, here's something that bugs the shit out of me about this movie, which is again a question of of competence. And like you present a plot problem mm-hmm. and you like, can you make it seem as if the characters are prepared to deal with this problem? Ghost of Mars has a really big problem, which is that there are these like literal Mars ghosts. And when somebody dies, 
you just sort of cut to this camera POV and you've got this this ethereal it's disembodied the, it's spirit. It's the fallen camera. It's like fallen. Lo- yes, like yeah. fallen. It's a lot like fallen, yeah. And it's looking for a new host. And, it, and there aren't these thousands of ghosts that they're killing so people. all yeah. the things, like their plan is just to kill these things, but that doesn't ever get rid of the, the Mars ghosts. So right. literally they have accomplished nothing Here's the this movie. They don't even do the be. thing that fallen does. Right, where Fallen like tried to go out in the wilderness. No, 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 and establishes and the, limits. Yeah, and Fallen, and Fallen, I believe, has the conceit of like if it is without a host for too die. long, it can die. Exactly, and they don't if like that's that would have been the quick fix. The wilderness, that would have been the quick fix where it's like maybe it can just get a host, but then once it loses that host, it dies or whatever. There's right, nothing. like they don't set up any kind of rule or anything like that. If All this that, movie has right. is hey, let's shoot them. And it doesn't it doesn't solve anything. If only there was like a space ghost from coast to coast who could I help. fucking love space ghosts. I mean, coast he doesn't love space ghosts. But no, you're right. It's 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 a um unanswered, unexplored X factor that is problematic. No no question about it. Um in this movie. Also, speaking of problematic about this movie, it's got some like weird shitty manifest destiny things going on in it where they like the reason these ghosts are attacking essentially is because they view humans earthlings as uh as invaders and they're and natasha headstridge has this thing where it's like well this is this isn't their planet anymore like it's ours now and it's like well no it's still i mean you you're still an invader, which like, is also like that's every other siege movie. Like yeah. it's in your in your classic Western, it's Indians. It's in the other assault yeah. from Precinct Thirteen. It's it's gang members right. in Prince of Darkness. It's these homeless people that have been possessed by this evil spirit. Yeah, like and in uh, in the Mouth of Madness, it's basically everybody who's read this book, which at the end of the movie is the entire world. Like yeah. it's it's this thing that Carpenter comes back to over and over, which is is on that level this like really explicit like colonial othering like us versus them and i will say alex to your kind of general point which i think we're kind of getting at which is like these last three movies that he's made right which you know the last three we were talking about vampires ghosts of mars and the ward there does seem to as much as i enjoy vampires and ghosts of mars we'll get to the ward i wish i i do not enjoy but um there is a simplification of the rebel that is John Carpenter in those movies, in these in these last three movies, that is a little disappointing, no doubt about it. Because when you think about assault, when you think about the even the thing, and really, and all of his movies, you know, they live right. Like there is that rebellious, I suppose, liberal eh, idea of like the man is out to get you. Like we have to. We have to be together on this. In like, Ghosts of Mars, it's the woman. <laughs> right. Well, they actually they like make yeah, a joke they, like they that joke where like Ice that, Cube yeah. is like, the woman's been bringing me down. But yeah. the point is, right, to that almost to the point of that kind of being a silly thing is like there is more of a well thought out and constructed thing happening, even in Memoirs of an Invisible Man, mm-hmm. right? That does not happen in these later movies because they do. Maybe it is the fact that John Carpenter just wanted to make the movie, you know, like he's just at a point now where he's like making the movies as an exercise as opposed to maybe some of the passion from the early movies are not there. Look, this is a common, 
I mean, look, this is a common thing you talk about with a lot of filmmakers. You get older. I mean, you get older. Right? Yeah. Like you just, you're older, literally. You're like, I just want to do the thing I know I'm good at. Maybe that passion's not there. You know, the Scorsese's are rare, right? Like we're like Scorsese's fucking 80 and he's like, yeah, I'll make Silence, the movie that like fucked up my Catholicism 25 years ago. Like nobody does that. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. nobody does that. Like Spielberg is guilty of the opposite problem right now. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like he makes Munich and he's like, okay, like that was the most complicated movie I'll ever make. You know what I mean? Yeah, right, like, right. you know, like, so, you know, for every bridge of spies, you know, which, you know, is great in its own right. But point is, I think Carpenter maybe to some degree has fallen into that. So, yeah, I think, I think that's the unfortunate thing about the tail end of his career is it's not, you know, you fall, you have these guys that, uh, and, and gals who, as they get later in their careers, they get to a point where, you know, you might hear about the ones that miss and then you hear about, you know, these directors talk about them and they're like, look, I was just trying to do this thing and it might have been misunderstood or whatever. Carpenter feels very honest about it where he's like, yeah, I just, I don't know. I was making money or I just wanted to try and make like he's very candid about it, about like basically not giving a fuck. And that's not to say that he doesn't like that's not to say that he did he's like just was sort of on autopilot with all of these things like i'm sure he's like having fun while he's making them or at least trying to have fun while he's making them and trying to rekindle that like love of making movies um which is sort of what happens with the ward right because he makes ghosts of mars and it's such a monstrous disappointment that he's basically like you know what well i'm good and then he goes on to do a couple episodes uh, in the interim of uh, Masters of Horror, right? Solid episodes. Yeah. Well, and Alex, you've seen them, yeah? I have not seen them. so I, I have you, not either. Yeah, so. so please explain. So just to, for context, Masters of Horror uh, anthology series um, from the mid-2000s. His first episode is Cigarette Burns, co-written by Drew McQueenie, who if you're listen, listening to this podcast, you probably know he's he used to write for Annie Cool News. He's been around forever. He's a a friend of mine in the sense of I see him at Sundance every year and you know, we'll have a couple chats and he, he's a good guy. And so he wrote, he has this kind of, you know, public friendship with John Carpenter in as much as, you know, he wrote Cigarette Burns, which John Carpenter directed and Carpenter himself has credited his time with master with masters of horror as like a rejuvenation of his craft, right? And his passion. Yeah. And Carpenter said the same thing in the nineties about working on a show called John Carpenter's body bags. He said, he said at that time that working in TV, like kind of re-energized him. And then it was after escape from LA where he was like making movies isn't fun anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to stop. Um, so then Masters of Horror comes on, comes along the following decade. Carpenter makes two episodes. And so Cigarette Burns, even though he didn't write it, interestingly, it's like the most Carpenter set up in like a really brilliant way. Um, so it's people hunting down a, a print of like a snuff film that when people watch it, it drives them insane. And this like film collector like wants this thing to be tracked down. That's the setup. Uh, really, really cool. And then the second episode. So how's this for how's this for a setup? Uh, militant Christian fundamentalists lay siege to an abortion clinic where uh, Ron Perlman's daughter 
He's the head of this this militant sect. Like there, she's checked herself in to get an abortion. Ron Perlman is trying to save her. Little does he know that her child is the Antichrist. Love. That's an amazing premise. And that episode's that's called pro life. Yeah. Yeah. Love. So that too is like if you want late period John Carpenter that feels like John Carpenter, then you watch Masters of Horror. And look, this is a cool series. I'm just looking at the IMDb as we talk about it. Stuart Gordon directed two episodes. Dario Argento directed two. Carpenter directed two. Joe Dante, who we've mentioned before in this episode, directed two. Mick Garris, Toby Hooper, John Landis, Don Coscarelli, Brad Anderson, Larry Cohen, Ernest Dickerson, who made a really cool movie called Surviving the Game, if you ever get a chance. Ernest Dickerson. With Ice-T. Yeah. Spike Lee's original. Spike, you know, who worked with Spike Lee as a cinematographer for many years. Um, William Malone, Lucky McKee, John McNaughton, Takeshi, uh, Takeshi Mike. I'm saying that wrong. Yeah. But Tom Holland, Peter Medic, Rob Schmidt, and Norio... Shuroka, uh, uh, sorry, Shuroda. So, do yourself the favor, check it out. I'm going to check it out because I have not seen many of these episodes. It kind of reminds me, Connor, of the mid 90s Showtime series in which our boy Tom Cruise has his only director. Directing credit, Fallen Angels. Have you ever watched Fallen Angels? Do you know about Fallen Angels? Alex? I've never the heard film, of it. The film noir okay, anthology so, show. In the mid 90s, early to mid 90s, I think it was Spielberg was involved, yeah? Uh, with like producing it? With a bunch of like with development. It was so early showtime show called Fallen Angels. It was a, similar to Masters of Horror, but noir. It was similar where it was a bunch of different directors did like noir stories. Like Soderbergh did so one. It was like Soderbergh did, two, I think a couple, a bunch of other people. And um, Tom Cruise's only directing credit is for an episode called The Frightening Framus, starring Peter Gallagher. And Nancy Travis. And Nancy Travis. Yeah. I would also like to take this opportunity to recommend Tales from the Crypt. Sure. The sure. 90s series, which, yeah. in which Arnold Schwarzenegger has his only directing credit. Is well, that no. No, no, no. He has one other. Oh, does he? He, Yeah. Arnold, you're right about that. Arnold Schwarzenegger also directed a remake, a TV movie remake of Christmas in Connecticut uh. in the early 90s. I swear to God. Yes. I feel like you're both with I think Diane right I, th I think it's Diane Cannon and um Chris Christopherson are the oh, stars. I'm going to have to look that up. I'm looking it up as we speak and um as Connor cracks a beer. So that just made me need a beer. I just you were like Arnold Schwarzenegger director. <laughs> so okay. We talked about Masters Har he gets kind of rejuvenated thanks to the process. Good. Unfortunately, and I say that with all due respect of me liking Memoirs of Invisible Man, Vampires, and Ghosts of Mars. Unfortunately, this renewed passion results in him making The Ward in 2010, which I was so thoroughly bored by. What'd you guys think? I kind of disagree. I I didn't really like The Ward, but I do think not unlike these other three movies, I do think there are elements that I can totally see. Like if you're John Carpenter, especially if you're like finding a reason to get back into it, like there are certain things on paper with this movie that uh, that I can see um, working for somebody. That said, I only think it's sporadically well executed. Some of the some of the horror in it is and is is pretty good. Um, basically, just plot wise young amber heard plays a woman called Kristen, who basically gets committed to this uh 
you know, committed to this insane asylum run by Jared Harris, who I actually think is pretty good in this movie. Um, and she sort of is, uh, you know, she quickly befriends uh, the other. There are a number of other women who are there, young women who are there, and sort of slowly starts to realize, you know, things aren't great here. And uh, and there there's is a fucking ghost. Yeah, there's a fucking ghost, and um, and that's essentially the set, the initial setup. Um, and it's like never not a ghost. You know what I mean? Like. You have a lot of these movies where it's like, oh, is it a ghost? Is it just like Scooby-Doo thing where it's right another person? No, no, no. But it's, pretty early on, it's like clearly- Yeah, the whole time it's a ghost. You know what I mean? There's yeah. not like some bait and switch. You know, there. Is, I mean, there's a whole ending that happens. We'll, we'll get to you, that, yeah. You, early on, it's like, it's not Jared Harris being- It's not Shock Corridor. You know what right. I'm saying? It's not like- sure shitty things i mean shitty things are going on but it's there's not a nefarious other thing happening it's like a ghost yeah which i thought that also kind of bummed me out if i'm being honest i right? sort of i sort of liked it because i just also i like and again i sort of like the idea of the ward and john carpenter directing it more than i do the actual thing because i like the idea of like you know again the setup on paper i think is fine and the idea of him trying to just sort of get back into it and uh and sort of you know get all the kinks out uh for himself on just a simple ghost story i think is interesting and kind of effective uh, I just don't think the movie ever really gets there. There are a couple good. There are a couple good scares. A couple good little moments. Uh, there's a moment in uh, in particular where uh, someone is you know ghost murdered uh, with a needle through the eye, which is an extremely effective uh, moment when it happens. So there are a couple nice, you know, fun horror things like that. But. Um, but by and large, yeah, I just don't think the movie really amounts to much. You know, uh, Mamie Gummer is in this movie, Meryl Streep's daughter. Yeah, uh, not Grace, Mamie. Mamie. No, I'm yeah. saying you said Mamie. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two Gummers. Yeah. This is Mamie. Yeah. The other one's Grace. Alex, what's up? What do you think? Uh, I th I think watching. All of these, more or less, back to back. I think I like the ward the most out of all. Damn, interesting. See, um, this is good. This is why me and Connor should always have a guest. Yeah, because like, I feel like me and Connor tend to agree. Because you know we're like brothers, right? I mean, we've been, you know we're, we're like as of this friends. recording, apparently we've been Facebook friends for like twelve years. <laughs> 12 years. So, so I think it's good because I, I, this is certainly my least favorite. So, so continue. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, I think it's it's just the fact that this this is a straight up horror movie. It's a straight up ghost movie, and just the fact that it doesn't peter out at the midpoint like all the other movies i can't like the the middle of the movie was when i started to lose interest the ward like minute 30 is when the first like really good scare happens when the first really good kill happens and then i started to be interested and then after that point it it gets better it doesn't get worse i think it also helps this is the shortest movie of all four as well it's like once again though it's like 80s they're minutes. all short yeah. I mean, they're all under 100 minutes, like if you take out the credits, right? Sure. I, I'm pretty sure. So that's so interesting that you say that because I, I, I mean, uh, I mean this earnestly. And I, I say this as admittedly not a 
not a fan of horror in the genre sense of, you know, I'm not devouring it, you know what I mean, like month by month. I felt the opposite. Like by the first 30 minutes, I was okay. I was like, all right, here we go. And then once it gets into those horror beats, I lost interest. So that's interesting that you say that because I certainly... Yeah, I certainly kind of went the opposite way. Connor, where, where are you? I'm a little bit more with Alex in this in terms oh, okay. of Okay, like, well, I'll just leave. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and it's just us now and Dan's gone. Stop, no, stop, uh, stop. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more with Alex, at least in the sense that I I think... You know, he he finds an excuse to craft some some good, fun kills, you know, as, as the movie progresses and as each of these uh, as each of these young women are sort of picked off by this, uh, this, you know, asylum ghost. Um, it is it, like really bare bones like this. Yeah, is it's really very straightforward. Yeah, it's got a nice simplicity to he it. He filmed it in an actual psych ward. Is that true? That was open. Interesting. And they quarantined their film shoot from the rest of the ward. I did not know that. And I will say this. When I was a young man, young production assistant, I worked on a movie where we filmed at an abandoned psych ward in uh, Queens, Long Island, like right at the precipice of, you know, Queens becomes Long Island. And we were not allowed to go on the first floor because there was a homeless population that lived there and they barricaded it from us from filming there or from going down there because it was dangerous because there was like a whole community down there. And it was, and I say this with all candor as like a 23 year old at the time, it's frightening. <laughs> so it was interesting with this movie that it was open, right? Like, cause I think a lot of movies, you know, if you think about a movie like, um, What's the Brad Anderson movie, Session 9? Right. They, I love Session 9. It's a great movie. They film that at an abandoned psych ward, right? The I I that's like an an interesting thing too because I feel like another problem I have with this movie is it's just not a- atmospheric enough. Like there just isn't um I think the the scare, you know, the scares and the kills when they're set up are are fun and like I mean, you know, it's fun as fun in the horror movie way. You know, there's there's one one of them gets essentially just cooked by the electrolysis machine. Um, so there's some inventiveness there. Um, I just don't think there's enough general atmosphere in the 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 production design itself to like really sell the whole thing through. Um, yeah, it just I, I I guess that's where I agree with you, Dan, is that that to me, the way this movie feels is boring. And I think it kind of for the most part is is guilty of that with the occasional spurts of of like some fun horror movie stuff. And yeah, I don't know. He just he feels like a John Carpenter just feels like a dude who like made a movie just because he wanted to make a movie but like didn't even necessarily want to make this movie you know he kind of it feels like he just sort of did it um which may be untrue but it it feels that way well let me use that as a pivot back to alex which is to say so what is it about so are the genre staples in this movie when you're watching it are they just like comfort food or is it like watching a ma- no no you know what i mean like is it watching a master do it well is that what's is, is that what's working for you in in this movie um 
Um, hmm. Well, it's just, it's just, it's almost just like satisfying expectations. Right. But just doing it at a certain level of quality. Right. And so, and that's the thing is just that I, f- I often felt like that level of execution was missing from Ghosts of Mars. I would say it was even missing from Memoirs of an Invisible Man. It's missing from a lot of, of vampires. And like, for some reason, in this one, like, there were, there were actual scenes that are like building up tension over the course of it. Like, there's this sort of therapy hypnosis hypnosis session, like right at minute 30 of this movie, which, which sort of establishes this like nice tension and this drama and it has beats it has actual dramatic beats and then the scene ends and like it doesn't end it's kind of a fake out because after that you go right into this really brutal kill and that's nice and it's i th- nice to get that no and I, I mean that's an apt point because i think it also with this movie unlike the other three it it goes somewhere right like like this movie, at the very least, the things that it tees up, um, it's certainly more of a mystery, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and it and it, and it leads up to a reveal that I will say you, you can kind of see coming as you're watching the movie, um, and as it progresses, you're like, oh, is it going to be one of these movies? And it becomes one of those movies. Um, I won't quite get into deep spoilers yet, but it becomes one of those, you know, a movie you might think it's going to be. Uh, but I will say at the very least leading up to those moments, you feel if you're expecting that twist, you feel like the movie's cheating and it turns out it's not, which I kind of uh, at, at the very least appreciate. Like it is a tightly constructed movie in that everything you are shown does in fact lead you to the conclusion of the movie. Um, and I think it actually rewards rewatching. I'm sure. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. Like I'm not going to. I'm will, not going to do that. I, <laughs> but, I, I, that's an interesting point because I, I did think that um, when I watched it, though I didn't really enjoy it. I was kind of like, you know, I wonder if I watched it again, would I? have more of an appreciation for the for the craft yeah you know i i didn't rewatch it but i went back and sort of scanned through it just look looking at certain scenes how sort of the the characters respond in certain sections and i think it works yeah and i'll say this it it does feel like that when it got to the twist i was like oh okay like that it tracks amber heard i think gives a really pretty fantastic lead performance in my opinion in this movie i think she's okay i think she's okay she's definitely a, a carpenter hero yeah yes like and yeah like anti-authoritarian yeah. like yep again you don't you don't really buy her her capabilities but she is it, very capable. it is one of the only movies though that does even tee up some semblance of that yes. uh because early on in the movie there's a moment where she pulls some sleight of hand on jared harris and steals a letter opener from his office um, well and all the shit with the pills well no, no no right but it's that's the thing like the pills come in later after they've showed you her showed her doing the thing with the letter opener this so movie it is did this... make me want to rewatch unsane the Steven Soderbergh, which movie? I still have not seen. You haven't seen it. I have not. I really. That's want to one see of the it, iPhone Soderbergh. Yeah, it's on my list, and it's that's on my another list. one where I'll say this too, just to kind of. I love Shock Corridor. That's great. Right, the same before. Me. Yeah, it's amazing. And I will say that that movie, whenever it was made, I can't remember the year. It affected me in such a way, and I mean this truly, that I. The other psych ward movies like that are horror tinged, like thriller tinged, 
I think from in my head, that's like a barrier for me. I love Shutter Island. Yeah, Shutter Island I like a lot. And I think Shutter Island gets close. And Shutter Island is is you know, in in you know every other scene a direct homage to Shock Shocker. So there's that. But you know, if you take away the one flew over the cuckoo's net, you know Mm -hmm. the more kind of straight dramas, right? Um, even though one of the cuckoo's nest is structured in a lot of ways like a thriller. Like people, you know, it's one of those classic examples of Milos Foreman kind of got away with selling it as this Oscar movie. But when you go back and watch it, it's a horror movie. I mean, it's a horror <laughs> movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's built like this genre movie. So as I talk about it, I there is that truth of like one flew over is kind of its own little, you know drama horror movie right so i do think that's the thing is like i almost i almost think the bar with shot corridor is so high where it's like i'll admit that might just be a barrier for me where i'm watching the ward and just being like you know i don't know like this feels like you know you take the nelly bly thing you know yeah. and you make shot you know what i'm saying like i i think the other thing too um i'm just gonna spoiler alert here we're gonna spoil a couple things uh just from here to the rest of talking about the ward. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, we're also going to compare it to some other movies. Just stop listening now. Pick it back up if you've seen. You know, you, you just you know, we'll, we'll get to it. But we're gonna we're gonna spoil some shit. So this movie pulls a punch at the end of the movie that, as we said, I don't ultimately think feels unearned. I think the movie, you know, when you think about it, it does track, it does lead you there where you realize that the first sort of thing they try to pull is that they realize that Alice, who is this ghost that you you know discover, uh, is doing this because all of the girls conspired to murder her. Basically, she was treating them horribly and they were like, we got to get rid of, rid of her. So they do. And then she picks them off one by one. Right. That's the first kind of sort of red herring essentially and then after the final confrontation has happened between alice and uh and Kristen, amber heard um amber heard goes to jared harris's office and discovers in fact that alice was a person and Kristen and the other uh the other girls emily sarah zoe and iris uh and also this one tammy who was there before before Kristen got there um are all personalities of Alice. The old split personality. The old split personality thing. Now No, that, I love identity. Yeah, that in and of itself, I think, is 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 a, it's a fine thing. But part of me is also like, I guess John Carpenter didn't see identity. Well, look, I think this is a good point of maybe preferences. Cause identity to me, and maybe this is me. I you know I really like the movie Identity directed by James Mangold. To me, that's a noir movie, and uh, more of a noir movie. Sure, and 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 to me, it's an example of like maybe the horror beats just don't like maybe that's a preference. Like, have you seen Identity, Alex? I have. Okay, but there are horror beats in Identity no, that I know, all but work I guess really my question well. Is, Alex, so you have the ward, you have Identity, a similar twist is. Does one work more than the other for you? Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there, there are, there's so there are other action movies. Do they make Ghost of Mars worse? No, no, 
Well, but no, these, well, that's a good point. But I guess yeah. I mean the twist, though, right? The twist is the same. It twist, is the exact it? same. Because the end of identity plot. is like it's they're workshopping this split personality guy, right? Yeah, Brewer Taylor Vince. Yeah, and he's killing off his identities. Right? Yes. So that's and I guess Shutter Island. There's a little bit of that too, but it is almost a one to one. Like the ward yes. and identity. It's like she's killing off it's, her it, identity. Here is yeah. here's the thing that differentiates this and and so to your point earlier yeah so the the thing with the twist is that this is not a ghost story right right it gives you all the all the like nice genre trappings of a ghost story but it, but it kind of um then it sort of subverts that expectation so then and the after that so this gets a little bit more interesting because like as yes, an identity it's uh it's somebody who's killing his other identities um, but in this, the other identities conspired to kill the original identity. Right. That is what right. this movie is about. Right. This is about the original identity trying to survive after having already kind of been destroyed by these sort of... The trauma. The trauma. Right. Like, not only is it a battle... That's a good point. Yeah, not only is That's it a like a battle of the wills... It's a, it's essentially, you know, you're completely flipping like the antagonist like a, right. into the protagonist. Yes, it's almost, because yeah. Alice yeah. is like, was the person, was the original person who was, who was traumatized, like horribly, horribly traumatized as a child, uh, created these other personalities as, as a kind of way of dealing with that. And then it's like, like you thinking now about the scene where the other personalities talk about killing her talking about how horrible she was it's because alice was trying to get them to go away right right yeah that's a great point whereas you're right whereas identity is 10 little indians right identity is yes. essentially you know it's it's more agatha christie sure you know so it's, it's more like who is doing this right who is, and then at the yeah. end it's like ring, ring, ring. you know it's yeah. like oh is this you know it's way more kind of weirdly i guess it's true you're right way more schlocky i suppose right because that ending of identity but also more subtle like i think there's act there's actually some subtlety and nuance to the story that to the war to, uh, to, to the, the war right yeah. no, sure i, I, I agree yeah. with you I, yeah. You, yeah it's a good point I mean, yeah, no, I think that's all fine. I just think as far as the general viewing experience goes, like identity, for instance, has atmosphere. Do you know what I mean? Like has like the kind of atmosphere that I'm talking about that is extremely unsettling and and so had a higher budget. Sure. Way. Yeah. Way and, and again, I'm not, you know, they're not necessarily. And had, John, and had Chicago's first son, John Cusack. Yeah, it had the cues. <laughs> it does. I mean, it does have a wonderful cast. I it does. It does. Uh, this does not. This probably not unlike all, every other movie we've talked about could have been it benefited from a better cast. And say, with, like, honestly, leave Amber Heard. Keep her. Keep her. Right. But I don't but know. Like, isn't there something to be said? About these strange casts, that's positive, though. I don't know. No, I think it's interesting that they have, like, but this movie in particular does the thing where it's so it's a period piece. I don't even think we mentioned that it's set in the sixties, yeah. And it, none of these actors feel, yeah, like I mean, except Jared Harris who was on Mad Men, right? But like, none of these actors feel like yeah. they belong or are people that are young or have been young in the sixties. No, granted, it also helps that they are not real, right? Sure. Yeah, they, like, dan they dance that one song. 
Yeah, Alex and hated it. We were watching it together. Alex fucking hated that scene. That, that dance, yeah, that dance scene drives me nuts. And like, they they do have that movie play, which is the movie Tormented from, I yep. think it's 1960. That I liked, and I'm certainly going to watch Tormented. I will say that. Well, that's the John Carpenter thing. He just like play it. It's the movies that play, uh, that play on the screen. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Fuck you, Alex. I feel like as we're talking, I kind of like the movie more. Well, no, but uh, this is what's great. I, yeah. I, I so do I. I mean, it's a really good point. You're right. Like the idea of Alice being the initial psyche that is killed. And her trying to survive afterwards as a ghost. I wish they, I guess I wish they explored it more. Like, this is a case where I almost wish they had more of a psycho ending, right? Which people criticize. <laughs> right. Like, a, like a you long. You would never heard of Fly. They sort right, of have whatever. that. They sort of have that a little bit. I mean, there but is that, yeah. a straight up Jared Harris, like, spelling it out to the parents and, and all that. And then he got the shock at the end. Right with Is yeah, you had, that's the John Carpenter, Kristen, Kristen, Kristen. Kristen. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, the, yeah. The, sorry, the very yeah, the very end of the movie is you think it's all better, and then it's not because well, it's a John Carpenter identity, movie, right? Yeah, it's a John Carpenter movie where the you know you, you you it feels like they've finally suppressed all the other uh, identities that that Alice has formed, and Alice goes to the bathroom and opens up the mirror, and Amber Heard pops out, and she's still there, right? Um, made me jump, made me jump. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 it worked. It got me. And it's funny because it's like, I, and I think I said to you, Alex, what had happened. I was like, I don't know why. Like, I, I knew that that was coming. I just didn't know why. Like, I was suddenly surprised by it. Um, A lot of jump scares in the ward. How do we feel about jump scares? I do think he, it's tough because I feel like by the time the ward comes around, the tricks don't, by and large, don't really work for me. I will say we were. I had watched it, but John Carpenter you guys helped invent those together. tricks. So yeah, well, this is my point. Damn. I walked in when you guys were watching it, and the pan the the pan away and then back, and the character is behind the lead character. That whole thing, mm. that practical effect, still works. <laughs> I mean, I, I, for me, like yeah. you know, it existed in 1950, and in 2010, the old pan pan back. I mean. That speaks to the master at work to some degree, right? Where no, like, totally. You know I, mean? like, I, I guess I guess that's the it's thing. Effective. It's 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 You're not, like, oh shit, camera, don't go no, back, don't go back. No, no, no right. Like, and it's, you know. it's not Carpenter's fault really at all, because it's you know, he 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 put the camera down for, you know, a million years in between movies. And in between movies, everybody else was using all the things that like he helped turn into horror yeah. movie tropes. And then you know, by the time you get to the ward you know, we as viewers are used to those tropes, so they feel lackluster and whatever. And it's sort of and this almost, movie was just a you know, this movie was poorly received, it yeah. barely got a release, you yeah. Know. But so, and the, like those kinds of things, those kinds of like little simple touches that just work and are reliable. I was, I was missing that stuff in Ghosts of Mars, no, and sure. I, and, and I, though. I disagree, I suppose, in our enjoyment of these movies. I hear you because you're right. I mean, he. when is the last time he made a horror movie, right? right. Yeah, it's sure. A good, it's a good point. Yeah. It's a good yeah. point. And him exercising that muscle, I think, is almost enough to celebrate on its own, I suppose. Right. So, Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Now, here we are, 2019. You very well may be listening. It's 2020. It's been a, um, nearly a decade since he's made the award. Nobody really cared when it came out, you know, sadly. So now you have the David Gordon Green Halloween. 
Halloween, the the sequel to that Halloween. Have is you seen the David Gordon Green Halloween? I have not. Have no. you? No. Okay. Um, the That's sequel okay. to that is being made currently. Carpenter is is admitted, you know, by his own admission, more involved than he was with the Rob Zombie Halloweens, right? Like he's providing the score with his son. He's, you know, he has a producer credit, right? Kind of a Super 8 type of a thing yeah. like with Spielberg, right? So what do we want? Do we want another like what do we want from Carpenter? He's older, obviously we might not get it. Um I can say just to jump off this start off here. I of with with no reservation and this is me. This is non-hard Dan speaking. I would kill for a star man. I fucking knew you were going to say would that. I would kill for John Carpenter like DIY like all off screen high concept shit. Let's get two dope performances from two amazing actresses. Honestly, like, bring back veterans. Get bring Kurt back again. Cube. Bring <laughs> yeah, back Cube. Bring back Henshin. No, I'm just yeah. but but yeah. but that's what I want. I want like an old man Carpenter movie. What do we think? What else do we got? I I mean no. I think I, I think that's all. Uh, I mean that's a smart answer because I think that's all I think anybody could reasonably expect of him at this point because it's like he tried to go back and make a John Carpenter movie a couple of times and it was Ghosts of Mars and then he did it again and it was The Ward and neither of those worked. So I think like at this point I would like to see him go back and just not try and make a John Carpenter movie but just make a movie right like just a different movie like flex a, flex a different muscle a new what's a what's a what is what is like a late in life romance directed by John Carpenter look well, like, like? Well, or like, like, what, like you know what I mean like John Carpenter's dreams right like a right. Kurosawa dreams yeah. 1990 right sure. like Scorsese has to uh. go, like like what's that like that's yeah. what I want to see right like go crazy. I want him to make the western he has always wanted to make like a but a full on western full on I think that's western. a I think that's a great like, like you mean like like a, like, like a, bone tomahawk right Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, oh yeah. That's a good one. I guess in a lot of ways, Bone Tomahawk kind it, of it is because it, it, it feels like a it feels like Carpenter. As Craig's always kind of doing it that. Could or do the sequel. Um, well, and I guess it's funny you just mentioned Bone. I mean, I guess in a lot. I mean, I this is on the spot thinking. As Craig Zoller, in a lot of ways, is doing Carpenter type of stuff, right? Sure, Brawling Brawl Cell Block. Across concrete, yeah, Brawl and Cell Block feels like he's it doing been a like a Solemn Precinct, you know, yeah. type of stuff. Yeah. It's more, it's definitely, yeah, it's more in the, like, uh, the, I guess, whatever that is. It's a little third, bit more MAGA. Yeah, sure. You know, it's a little bit more kind of the man is not the enemy in, it's, yeah. in some cases. Sure, right? sure. It's kind of, you know, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that said, What's anybody favorite well, favorite Carpenter? Well, I want to say that, um, like basically since the '90s, I think the story about John Carpenter has been that you know all of his best work is behind him, and it's like it's like since then it's kind of been like this sad story and like watching his decline for a lot of people who were like fans of like of his his best best work in the '80s, right? Sure, like no question, really. But then. I don't know. Like thinking about him a lot for this podcast, looking at these later movies, I like the idea of him being happily retired. Yeah. I like him just sitting around, playing some music, playing Destiny 2. When she loves. And, you know, this is, you know, this 
this is something he talks about a lot in his interviews is that he looks back on his career and he's he is so happy to have been able to have have the career that he had where he got to make some of these films that were the movies he wanted to make right yeah and like that's great that's amazing yeah no I kind of I, I kind of agree like I don't know if we if we had to get another carpenter I would just want it to be completely out of left field I think but I also I agree I would be happy to leave well enough alone in terms of like John Carpenter has given us I mean for my money at least like three of my favorite movies and I would say some of the best movies ever made like oh, yeah. de- depending on how long your list is but it's hard you know, to disagree with that I mean yeah so I mean if you've done that You've done more, more than, than your than fair enough. share, you know? Yeah, and like even, I mean, straight up, this summer, uh, courtesy of our good friend Jordan Raup, you know, who who uh, I started the film stage with, I got to see Escape from New York on the big screen. Yeah. You know, after not seeing it for a few years. You know, and it's as entertaining and vibrant and energetic and fun as it ever... You know what I mean? Like, yeah. to your point... I could see it five years from now and be like, God damn, what a movie, right? Like those are not going to go away, right? Escape from LA, you know what I mean? Like the lesser ones. I mean, and this is, you know, look, that's right. We get back to Walter Hill and Dante. Like this is not going to go away for any of these guys. Like hard times, the burbs, you know what I mean? Like these movies they've made. Like there's never going to be another movie like the thing. There's never going to be another movie like they live. It's just not going to happen. No. So to your point, it's a good, it's a good epilogue to the, the epilogue of like if he doesn't make another one thank you for the memories it's 100% I agree with that um, and uh, yeah I mean I think we'll leave it at I guess where do we you know where do we uh, follow each other you know I'm Dan Mecca DJ Mecca at Twitter follow TFS the B-side yes t- uh, at TFS B-side on Twitter so Alex real quick author and post-production person, where can we find your stuff? Where can we follow uh, you in your, in your life? So, you've Anywhere? got some stuff in if, the, in the not, work. No big deal. No, you've got some stuff in the work. Can you talk about it openly? Or uh, I, I think so. I've got two... I sold my first two stories this year to Tor.com, so they will be out sometime next year. I was told... I think January and April, but okay. It's okay, so twenty twenty world. Yeah, we're looking out. We'll yeah. okay. We'll, we'll check back in on that. Um, I uh, are you are you? Do you have any twitters? Any in, you know any? No, nah, I, I I deleted my Twitter. I like Twitter, but I always kind of felt like I was the the kid who sat alone at lunch. Oh. You know what's so funny? It's funny that you say that. I feel like that all the time. <laughs> you're like, hey, anybody? Anybody? That was I, so I feel well like worded. That like you're the, just minute, kind of... the minute you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's all I <laughs> Well, I to reiterate... the majority of people on Twitter. To reiterate then, you can follow Dan at DJ yeah. Mecca. Exactly. Please, I guess. Um, well, and you can so follow... Uh, this is like the beginning of Another They Live. You yeah, know, you, can follow like... the, you can follow this podcast at TFSB side. I am at Scruffy Looking. Uh, you can also see my byline on the film stage occasionally. Dan's as well. Wrote Obviously. a positive review. Connor I did. I wrote at, Gemini at, Man. As of this recording today, I I launched my maybe one of the only two positive reviews of Gemini Man, which it I has really its defenders. Liked. But you're definitely you liked it. We both liked it. A lot. Yeah, you'll actually very soon. You'll probably already have heard it by the time you listen to this. But there, I will be on the uh, the film stage show, right? Talking about it. So look out for probably that defending as well. it. You're probably defending who knows it. Uh, not pro- definitely defending it i mean it's well great. but i'm assuming that michael yeah. and we'll, see. We'll, and we'll see we'll see um but yeah that's it 
And just remember, look. Wait, wait, real quick. Mm-hmm. You should do a B-side about Jerry Seinfeld and just talk about the B-movie. On it, <laughs> straight up, uh, yes, I would do that. Because <laughs> the Jerry Seinfeld thing of like not becoming, you know what I mean? Like, like the whole weird thing of him being, he made one controversial comedy documentary called Comedian. Yep. And one weird animated movie called B Movie. And that's be, his career. The B side. Oh my God. I love we'll, it. We'll bring you back for that. Alex, you're already booked for that. Yeah. So we'll bring whether you, you like it or not. Ta- it's in. taken, everybody. Um, Don't ask. And look, until then, just remember all you need for Woods is a good carpenter. The best one yet. <laughs> <laughs>